Greetings, everyone, and uh, welcome to the stacks. This is Jay, and I'm My cat disapproves. Oh, plum. She don't like it. Too much. That don't like the shushs. Uh, you know, that's probably it. Very, very likely. Uh, kind of a hiss noise. Uh, so this week, we're beginning with uh, Gamera versus Gauss, uh, the third picture in the really fantastic Gamera series. Oh, Gamera, I've missed you so much. I didn't even know how much until until I popped another one of these in the player. And this one's so essential. Like, this one really feels to me like the definitive Gamera movie. Uh, this is probably the last one with a pretty decent budget. I think the budgets get a little cut from here on in, and they start using a lot of stock footage from previous movies. Oh. Uh, but this one, it's pretty wall-to-wall. -wall. Like, th this is really action-packed. The effects are just top-notch for, you know, what they were trying to do. Because oh, some of yeah. them are crazy. Yeah, like like the laser effects are just... Some of the laser effects are incredible, and uh, the the flamethrower stuff is mm -hmm. just shocking to look at, honestly, at times. Oh, yeah, it's it's way... They've, they've evolved it from the blowtorch they'd been using in the last couple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and notably, this is the return of director Noriaki Iwasa, who directed the first film, but not the second one. Okay, and, this feels a lot more like that one. Than yeah, uh, and and this one, like, he kind of shepherds the series from this point. I think he does, like, three or four more after this. Okay. Uh, this is also known as, or at least the, the original Japanese title is actually Giant Monster Dogfight Gamera versus Gauss, which is so great. So, so cool. Great. <laughs> well, there is a lot of them, uh, like, fighting in the air. Yeah, well, th that's so they're they're kind of doing a series of things because like last time they did a ground guy, and mm. this time they're they're kind of both aerial focused. Where do you think the next one's gonna be? Um, oh, I actually like yesterday I looked through all the all the artwork on the Gamera box set, which beautiful we before, but oh, it's beautiful, mm -hmm. gorgeous. Um. To remind folks, because the, I think the Gamera episodes might have been back when we weren't recording good. Uh, no, they were decent ones. Oh, they're, they? I don't, oh, okay. They're, they're uh, lesser listened, though. Well, that's a so shame. So highly recommend, because they're, they're fun, and these movies are so much fun. Yeah, but so the Gamera, uh, the closest thing that it reminds me of is uh, like an old school dungeons and dragons players handbook in like its size yeah. and it's meant to look like a book like a textbook but you open it up and it's these gorgeous illustrations of all the monsters uh with with the the discs in the sleeves like really modern art like very very uh like high-end comic book cover art yeah 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 like modern not trying to make them look like like modern monsters would look no but like a modern artist rendition of what those monsters really look like and there's they're so cool but the next one i don't know what the next is gamera gonna have to fight fire with fire 
Uh, note the next one is a sea monster. Oh, that'd be okay. Okay. So we, we oh, go yeah. earth, sky, and then sea. I don't remember what the next one is. I think that's Gyron. And Gyron might be from space. Although there's also aliens in the next one. I think there's aliens in pretty much all of them from this point forward. Well, yeah, this one ends with Gamera just flying off into space for some reason on his own this time. Yeah. And I guess he, he comes back with other aliens, like or bring, brings back just alien threats to Earth from his travels. I don't know. <laughs> what goes through that guy's mind? I wonder. What does Gamera, Gamera think about? I mean, Gamera changes a lot from film to film. This Gamera feels like a really different Gamera from our, our initial Gamera. And even from the second one, although the second yeah. one... It's kind of starting to lean in this direction. Yeah, uh, so, this, this, this camera is inarguably benevolent. He is yes. a good, helpful monster, uh, clearly. He yeah. does not destroy any human things on purpose. Right. And, like, he, he is protecting Earth and particularly coming to the aid of this one kid. Uh, but I guess yeah. we, we were talking before uh, we started recording and we decided we wanted to do a little power profile of the kaijus we're discussing. So we should probably start with Gamera, because in yep. this movie, Gamera is a little bit different from how he's been before. Yeah. Um, so did you want to go first? Or uh, Well, please. I, I haven't really gotten notes on Gamera, but I do have okay, a okay. complete profile on Gauss. Okay, fair enough. Um, so Gamera, I guess he came... Oh, what was his deal? He came from the North Pole, I think, somehow. Yes. He is a giant turtle. Giant turtle. Giant turtle. turtle. Uh, he both eats fire and breathes fire. Yeah, blowtorch uh, mouth. Uh, yeah, blowtorch mouth, uh, flamethrower mouth. Flamethrower mouth. One. Ooh. Yeah. Full suit. Full suit flamethrower. Mm. <laughs> Mind-blowing. Yeah, totally. Uh, he <coughs> can stand on his hind legs, but I think he prefers to be on all fours. Yeah, he can uh, scuttle pretty fast. Yeah, he. I can't. I don't know. Sometimes in this one, at least, he can. He's fine with water. Like he even goes underwater to heal. I don't remember if he was weak against it in the other ones, or uh, maybe I'm thinking of Baragon. Yeah, I think Baragon was. Uh, like he he got dragged into the water by Gamera to be killed. Oh, yeah, uh, so, no, yeah, of course, he's a turtle, of course he's going to be good with yeah. water. Water is, is one of Gamera's safe places. Uh, and Gamera's one shell, of, of course, is pretty much impervious to everything, notably in this, impervious to lasers. Um, well, the lasers, leave, they leave scorch marks, but that's about as far as they get. Right. Uh, we don't really know anything about the interior of Gamera's shell in this. Uh, kids aren't riding inside him at this point, but uh, kids can no. ride on his back. Yes, they can. That's that's a new one. In future, some kids may ride inside of him. <laughs> How would that? E okay, so let's talk about Gamera's probably most interesting ability. He can fly, but not really like a like you'd expect him to be able to. He has to retract all of his limbs into his shell, and where the holes holes are because i guess there's holes in this it's not like an actual turtle uh he's got rockets like shoots so jets of flame that make him go spinning around to make him into a, like a 
giant flying whirling fire thing. He's kind of like a UFO. Yeah. And but, was mistaken as a UFO in the first uh-huh. one a few times. But we find out in this one, he doesn't have to spin in order to fly. I guess he just does it because it's fun. Well, so this is kind of a budget thing. I was listening to the commentary track on this, which is pretty good. And he mentions that it, it was just really expensive to light all of the all of the different rockets for the effect. Oh, so okay. for cost cutting, it was a lot cheaper to just light two rockets. <laughs> and that's well, mostly how he travels from this point forward in the series. Well, he does do a lot of four rocket flying, but in this one, but, he does. Yes. In this one. Yeah. OK. But yeah, uh, it, well, and this it also kind of makes sense because both of his arms get injured uh, during the right. fights. That's true. Uh, he 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 would want to retract more of his limbs uh, with this particular bad guy. And I guess probably with some of the next ones, too. I'm thinking of uh, Gyron, I think, is the one with the knife head. Incredible. Oh, that. OK, yeah, I remember seeing him. I'm like, is this dude just is his head just a knife? It is a knife, and uh, it can just, like, chop up other kaijus like a butcher knife. Oh, God, is he going to fight other kaijus? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. From this point, like, a lot of the time you're going to have several monsters, because they've got these suits lying around, you know? <laughs> oh, okay, okay, right on. Giaus is showing up in a lot of them from this point forward. Even uh, though he's pretty dead at the end of this one. Yeah, I mean, Gauss, I guess, is just a species. <laughs> oh, right, like like Baragon is a species. Right, although we never get to see another Baragon, just such That's a dress. So I love Baragon. But Gauss, power profile for Gauss. So first we've got the bat wings. They can create uh-huh. hurricane force winds. Yep. Pretty cool. Uh, has two spines. <laughs> yeah, so that has some interesting advantages and disadvantages he can't turn his head right but he can create sound in a way that makes it into a sonic laser yeah he can shoot lasers because his two spines basically uh form a tuning fork uh but yeah he can't turn his neck at all which is you know a big flaw he's very easily attacked from behind uh, he can spray fire retardant yellow foam out of his nipples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though he's reptilian, he's got nipples, and that's where the... the... Yep. No, he doesn't have nipples, but that's where... It looks I mean, they're like two thing. nodes, you know, they're, yeah. they're, that shoot the yellow goo, <laughs> mm-hmm. or foam, uh, and it's fire retardant foam. Yeah, it puts out fires. Um, I don't think it... I don't know if it does anything else. We don't really get to see. That's all he uses it for. Yeah, I like it. It also gunks up Gamera at that one point, but that's True. pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, and th- so just multi-use, but it's it's just a fire retardant foam because uh, he doesn't like hot weather. Not a fan. Also, no, really not a morning person. No, no, he doesn't <laughs> like the heat. He doesn't like fire. Um, he doesn't tan well. He's a vampire. He's likes a vampire. To eat people. A uh, big fan of just, like, eating people like popcorn. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, he will drink an entire vat of blood to the detriment of his own health if you can get a vat of human blood big enough. Mm-hmm. 
can regrow limbs just through sheer force of will. Yep. Um, Has a glowing mood skull. <laughs> now, does that do anything for fight, or is it just like threat display? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of just like... Uh, it's weird, because it shows when he's hungry or angry. So it, it doesn't seem like it's doing him any favors. <laughs> it just kind of says when he's going to attack or when he's, you know, not not in a good mood. He's also really prone to dizziness, and he has like a snooty waiter expression versus Baragon's doggo <laughs> expression, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's got like these big, like, car- angry cartoon eyes. Yeah. And he just looks angry. Just always looks angry. Mm-hmm. But snooty well, angry. And and there's a point where, like, he, he drops something on his foot and he just looks angry at himself. Yeah, <laughs> it's very expressive, uh, d- despite the limited uh, available movement. Well, it's, it's so funny because he it happens when he's, like, having a temper tantrum and he drops it on his foot and he just stops and closes his eyes like... <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Uh, so I, I, I wanted to mention, I did also watch the Mystery Science Theater episode and kind of just to remind myself of the Sandy Frank edits, which are so bad. Uh, so like I, I watched this movie three times over the past week. I watched the regular version. I watched the commentary and I watched this MST version. So I'm pretty immersed in Gauss. Uh, but the Sandy Frank edits, I haven't really talked about them in the previous ones, but I have been watching them for each of these. And they're so bad. Like, they're just such a butcher job of these movies. Oh, yeah? Because, like, they always lop off the opening credits. And it's really a problem with this one. Because the opening credits oh. of this movie are great. Well, yeah, they're great. And, yeah, <laughs> they're great. <laughs> yeah. And so they... It also means that the movie starts like, I don't know, like five or six minutes later because it's it doesn't start until after the credits. Oh, but and there's but some great that stuff, that happens, stuff that happens before. Yeah. And that's like, important. The first few scenes, everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, Gamera and Mount Fuji and all of that. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's not even in it. I can't believe it. It's so bad. Uh, and then. They they do all of their dubbing to make the dialogue kind of fit the mouth movements more than they care about what's being said. So Uh-oh. some of it's really bad. Uh, and you end up with some people being renamed. Most of the time they kind of keep the original names or something pretty close to it. But uh, the most unfortunate one is Aichi in this one becomes Itchy. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> itchy. Unfortunate. Anyway, so the proper version of the movie opens with a chain of earthquakes and volcanoes erupting. Yep. Um, Just, just volcanoes erupting and a news report saying volcanoes are erupting all over the place. Yeah. And we cut to, uh, I guess like, what is it? Like the emergency military guys or whatever. Yeah. Saying like, or it's a press conference. That's what it was. saying. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, yeah, we don't know what's happening. Volcanoes are erupting all over the place. Even uh, dormant and extinct ones are doing it. And the reporter's like, oh, I sure hope Mount Fuji doesn't erupt. And smash cut to Mount Fuji erupting. 
Kaboom! We I are really now at love the, the lava effect. Oh, it's really good. <laughs> We're now at the 32nd mark of the movie. Yeah, boom, Fuji erupting, because it's like, oh man, a whole bunch of earthquakes, a whole bunch of volcanoes, and then we could, the scientists are concerned about Mount Fuji erupting, then kaboom, Mount Fuji's erupting. <laughs> Wasting like, oh. no time. Yeah, well, like, so this is another thing that they talk about in the commentary track, is that they learned their lesson with Baragon. <laughs> Baragon <laughs> is a lot of fun once Baragon shows up, but there's that whole treasure hunting plot that takes like 45 minutes before there's a monster fight. Yeah, Baragon, like, so the pacing for Baragon is you have like a cool gamma smashing things for about five minutes, and it's awesome. And then you have this boring treasure hunter plot with betrayals and blah 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 and then and it feels really adult it doesn't feel yeah. kiddy enough it, it feels like i, I don't know like kind of like the maturity level of say an indiana jones yeah it, it's sort yeah. of like uh, an adventure spy movie for 45 minutes instead of a monster movie like i forgot i was watching a gamera movie yeah There's no monsters until again until like the 50 minute mark like Gamera Noir. But this one, they're like, kids went nuts in the theater with Baragon because they just got so bored. They, there, there was no monsters for such a long time that the kids just created a ruckus in it. It was disastrous. So this time they're like, okay, we got to have monsters early on and we got to come back to monsters regularly. Oh, yeah. Well, so this one is like all monster all the time. So much kaiju battle. It's really impressive. There's a lot of great fight sequences. There's like three really solid fight sequences that they go to. Mm -hmm. uh, and they space them really well. <laughs> so there's one thing I've started to notice that they do in these movies is they, they give the humans a chance to do something neat instead of just uh, just throw tanks at whatever the monster is. Although they often do that too. But like with Baragon, it was the mirror thing. With Gamera, it was the uh, rocket cage. <laughs> and, and here it's well, well, we'll talk about what they do here because I have some thoughts about that. Well, they're kind of just following the cues of Aichi, who is our yeah. requisite Gamera boy. And I would say he's kind of the perfect Gamera boy. I, I agree. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, the humans always end up. They never end up being enough to defeat the other kaiju but always end up helping gamera to do it yeah which they're, i think is cool they're they're gamera's like support crew yeah uh led by aichi led who, by aichi in this case <laughs> who uh, at this beginning part you know they they see mount fuji erupting he's like oh i know we'll just like if gamera comes he can deal with it uh and gamera <laughs> comes and he deals with it <laughs> and he deals with it he <laughs> eats the lava yeah because so he just comes to enjoy it the, yeah <laughs> and that's when you get your credits thing when he just shows up like and comes over just, the hill yeah and he's just hilariously crawling up the mountain during the credits and he looks so happy just so jazzed to be just like trundling up that hill for like, that lava like like he's a dog and you just threw his favorite stick yeah it's so cute it's so good. Uh, so, and yeah, then Gamera saves the day. Yeah, of course. Gamera saves the day. Uh, and then after the credits, we see this really great 
Matt shot of all of these people getting in a toy helicopter. The twin rotor <laughs> Matt composite shot. Like you can see around the edges that it's a toy, but it's really hard yeah. to see where it's not a toy. So it's just a really fun effect of all these real sized people getting in a toy helicopter either way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're going to research to see they're supposed to see what happened to uh, Gamera and the volcano. Um, yeah. Basically, what the hell's going on? Right. And uh, particularly and pertinent to our storyline and the characters we're going to be following, uh, this problem has also created a holdup with a highway being built because some people don't want to move already. And now there's this Gamera stuff. Yeah. And we, we've got Shiro Tsutsumi, who is their man on the ground. He's, he's I guess, our adult protagonist of this film, which means he's not really going to have a whole lot to do, but he'll look tough and maybe save someone. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll, yeah, he'll, he'll be the voice of reason when a lot of people won't. Yeah, and he is hilariously introduced by his boss chewing him out because Mount Fuji erupting or Gamera is no reason to be behind on work. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about that sounds like a boss. And he like notably the highway company are sort of the heroes in this movie. They're like the real support crew and the protesters are the bad guys. Kind of. Yeah. Which is interesting because at the protesters are. Well, it's kind of interesting because the very first scene sets it up like the protesters are going to be good and the highway is going to crew is going to be bad but then yeah it immediately switches they seem very passionate but it turns out very quickly that they're just being a nuisance and they just want to drive up the settlement price and they don't really care that much about leaving yeah i guess it's i guess it's different when it's when it's not white people stealing land from i i don't know i i don't know the um my, my read on this is particularly because this is post-war Japan. The, this is yeah. like, what, 67? So, okay, 67. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're 13 years past World War II, but, or no, more than that. Uh, well, the memory's still going to be fresh, anyway. though. Well, and, and also, you're still doing a lot of rebuilding. You're, you're still oh, yes. Yes. doing a lot of infrastructure work. You're and. Oh, yeah highway building is important and it's like we we kind of oh, just right. make these guys uh the these annoying protesters uh not in the right because yeah progress okay. is really important and infrastructure and rebuilding is what's important that's a very different context from uh today's canada yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I guess that's a good point I, I should, uh, and and there is a couple doesn't things really work to compare them Right. And th- there were a few things in this movie and there's there's a big one much later on uh, that I was thinking about. And there there's a movie in the folk horror box called Clear Cut. That's a Canadian like a BC folk horror. Uh, so uh, that's one I'm really interested to see in contrast to the, the, the sort of view on it that we get here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We let's let's not go into how it yeah, is no, we'll, that's we'll, way outside we'll the scope of what, what oh, our yeah, podcast certainly. is about uh so 
Oh, obviously, yeah, he's getting chewed out by his boss, which is so yeah. ridiculous. Because, like, oh, Mount Fuji erupting and Gamera, and you're behind on work? It's like, <laughs> it's in the way. <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Just work around Gamera? Just build over the lava rivers? And notably, he's only got R2-D2 and C-3PO. Uh, the Just this doltish comedy relief duo is his main guys. He's pretty much yeah. on his own. <laughs> yeah. Like, that guy uh, seems... The, the skinny guy, I think, is the foreman. <laughs> oh, really? I thought... I think? I thought the chief guy was... Well, I, like, the chief guy is just, like, the main guy who's in charge of everyone. Like, oh, on, okay. On but I think they're, like, the ones sort of in charge of the rest of them. Like, he does seem to be the second in command. It's so weird. Weird, because they've cast people who look comedic. Yes. They're, well, they're, they are comic relief. Uh-huh. Like, like you, they're the typical, the fat guy and the skinny guy. Yeah. And so... We, we get our Tsutsumi being like, man, I wish I knew what was going on with the research team. And then we get to see what goes on with the research team, which oh, is maybe yeah. my favorite effect in the entire movie. <laughs> it's so good. It's so it's so good. So they're flying over uh, Mount Fuji, but they see this weird glowing light over. I'm not sure how far away it is, actually, from Mount Fuji. Yeah, it's not really clear. Uh, uh, the Mystery Science Theater episode calls it, ooh, a pocket of mint jelly. <laughs> <laughs> and really, they, so there are some laser shots coming at them from this green hole. And they're like, huh, that's interesting. Let's circle back and take a better look. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go well It's a them. light show. No, it doesn't. So a laser hits the helicopter and slices it right in half and this effect is really cool it's they so built impressive a stage to look like a or a set or whatever to look like a helicopter but it like they built it in half and then they're just pulling it apart and they've got the guys falling out in but like in the middle yeah falling out the bottom hole and then the rotors hit and it explodes yeah oh my god so incredibly rad like I was, so cool. I was so impressed Oh, I was from well, suffice to say I was grinning the entire time I was watching this movie, but I was like, yes, like, like this is the stuff I live for in these kind of movies, like seeing what they how they do things and what they come up with when they don't just CGI when they can't just CGI everything like that wasn't a thing you could do. Yeah, and this is it's so like special effects as a film genre that that's sort of what Gamera falls into it's tokusatsu uh and and that's sort of like the genre and the, it's it's sort of an art and and the idea is just to kind of make them uh as well as possible using you know limited means yeah yeah like some somehow over the course of Oops, sorry. Uh, over the course sorry. of film, uh, somewhere in there, low budget came to become referred to as an insult to movies, or it became to be associated with bad movies. But that's not all. That's well, as we've seen here. That is often not the case. Like, yeah, you could make a there's so really much ingenuity. You can, yeah, the things you can come up with when you're limited. 
mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to when you could just throw infinite money at a problem and just make it look however you want without having to even think about how. Well, like, and we talked about John Carpenter a lot uh, last year, and John Carpenter is a perfect example of this because with his limited budgets, he made amazing films that, you know, they had to be stripped down. They had to be really tight because he did not have the money to do a lot of extravagant stuff. When he had big budgets, he tended to just kind of let things get a little too lethargic. Those movies are all pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I agree. He was kind of at his best when he was when he was working within limits. I don't well, like when he was still hungry. I mean, the thing is one that did have a really big budget and was a big flop. Was really good, (laughs) and the thing rules. But it was the first one that he had a big budget, and it was like, okay, I am going to do the movie I want to make. Uh, and I feel like the other ones, he didn't really have the same hunger for them. And they're, they're just a little bit misshapen. Mm, okay. Especially Escape from New York. But <laughs> we're now <laughs> getting way, way off the topic. Uh, so we, we get Tsutsumi and our Balkan Skull and they go meet the protesters. Oh my god, it is Balkan Skull. It's a Balkan Skull. They're They're just... <laughs> basic comedy duo <laughs> basic comedy duo with a kaiju setting who yeah. have no effect on anything but we love to see them they're just always there yep and so the protesters again they they seem like they're very sincere about keeping these guys out mm-hmm. but then like the crew they go and deal with them and they come back to their camp and they find that the villagers just totally trashed the place it's like, wow, yeah, these they, people are kind of jerks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they, they've, like, trashed the work camp so that they can't, like, this is their working quarters. This is where they're supposed to sleep out here. In yeah, the, and it's not equipment or anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's nothing to do with actually building the road. They just kind of wrecked their quarters. It's just asshole yeah, shit. Yeah, like, these guys are going to have to, like, sleep outside or, or they're going to have to commute to the job site. Yeah. And I guess more importantly, there's this spooky green glow over the tree line, which obviously we can already recognize as the source of the lasers. Yeah. And this is a really neat shade of green. Like, I, I obviously I can't describe it on a... It's minty. You know, yeah, it, it really minty, is. But it's like, it feels unique. Like, it stands out from everything else in this movie. Nothing else looks at all like it. It's like if you had a, a glowing lake of green mouthwash somewhere in the middle of a forest somewhere. Just <laughs> the light refracting off of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like it feels like it was colored with a different palette from the rest of the film. And it kind of gives it this really cool otherworldly aspect. Yeah, again, it's it's a it's it's a really interesting use of special effects. So they they've painted it this green, and they they use this really expressive green for it. So it really stands out. It really pops because again, they're they're using a lot of color. They're uh, again using or, or aiming for a child audience. So they're using a lot of color and making it all really pop where it needs to to draw yeah. the eyes to the important elements. Yeah, I, I did want to comment on the color usage of this film. It's really colorful, like mm-hmm. almost like 
almost like Batman 66 levels of colorful, which, which well, I love. This era, yeah, like the, yeah. the late 60s, because, you know, this is when everybody finally got color. Black and white was kind of slowly being phased out. And, you know, the, this is the second Gamera movie in color. Oh, the first yeah. one wasn't. Right. I, for, I, I forgot, I guess, when they were showing, even when they had the ability to make movies in color, not everyone had the ability to watch them in color. I, I right. forgot about that, that the invention of color and the common adoption of color are pretty far apart. Oh, yeah. I mean, like there are color films going back to the 30s, but yeah. it didn't get really widespread until late 60s, I guess mid 60s. It started to become the thing because, you know, it was more viable and people wanted color and it was a way to distinguish it from television at first and then television started getting all color as well yeah i I remember we actually had like we still had a black and white tv when i was a kid oh wow and then upgraded uh i can't remember when but i was pretty young but i do remember having a black and white tv like yeah several decades after like when i was really young we had one of those huge wood paneled ones that was just gigantic and had yes, like a whole console and like you opened up the front console and that's mm-hmm. where you chose the channels. Very <laughs> weird. It's kind of like how now sure 4k exists, but you can't, you're not going to be able to, or it's, it's not easy to afford. Well, I guess it's probably going down in price now, but it took a lot longer for color TV to go down in price so that normal folks could afford it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, God, off topic. I love it. <laughs> so we, color, we have good. a reporter. Oh, yeah. The, the color in this movie is beautiful. Uh, oh, so we're I thought this guy was going to be Aichi's side. This reporter sure. guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, he seems kind of cutesy at first kinda. when he's hiking in. Yeah. Uh, Aichi hits him with a slingshot. Yeah. And, and... he's like, hey, you know, he, he kind of gets on Aichi's good side because he's like, well, Gamera, Gamera's going to help us out on this one, right? Wouldn't you like to help me get the scoop on Gamera? Because at yeah. first, she's hesitant to help the uh, the reporter because he's on the side of the highway crew. Right. Um, he, he actually wears a little baseball cap version of the highway crew's hard hat. It's really cute. Which is funny because his grandpa is the guy who's in charge of the protesters. Yeah, but I guess his sister is in favor of the highway. It's not she really clear why he's. A... Well, he, he like it's it's completely mercenary. It's not a matter of them having a move. It's entirely a matter of like just waiting it out a little bit and getting them to raise the price. And that's always okay. been the grandpa's thing. He's like, oh sure, we, we're just I waiting. Get that. And the like all of the other villagers are getting increasingly antsy over the course of the movie. Oh, again, this would not go down the way this way no, in America. It's, it's very different. Uh, but yeah, so this this reporter is like, oh, the scoop on Gamera. So in in again the Sandy Frank version, uh, the they they just want to match the way it it looks in terms of the words. So they only mention scoop, which oh. is so weird. So it's like, oh, wouldn't you want me to get a scoop? He's like a scoop. I was like, no, what? Why would I care about what? that? Why would he care about that? It's so bad. It's just yeah. astonishingly bad. Oh, man, but that, anyway. that's a shame. 
Because because that's how this uh, it's how a lot of people see them manipulates the kid. And that's what he's doing here. Right. He is completely manipulating him. And he very soon shows his true colors. <laughs> oh, and gets I was so angry, but with... the instant karma, just <laughs> instant karma, like instant karma. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we can't, like in the next not even the next scene, but the next cut is yeah. instant karma. So Aichi takes him to this cave. I guess Aichi just knows where uh, where Giaus is, even though nobody else seems to. So Aichi I knows all. A th- I have a hunch okay. that he might be. Nothing like explicitly states this, but my my fan theory is he has a psychic link with Gamera, um, and, and this is there's some evidence to suggest this in the in the movie. What if he has a subconscious psychic link with all kaiju? It's totally possible. And that does happen in the 90s Gamera movies. There's oh. a kid with an actual psychic connection to Gamera. But here he just, like, we'll, we'll see a scene that, we'll talk about a scene where it suggests that he might have a psychic link to Gamera. So yeah. I'm just kind of extrapolating from that. Yeah, or and it just I might think also that's... be the way the scene's shot, but... Right. I, my I, version better. I, I do think that to an extent that's sort of a popular fan theory with this movie because I, I it, it is the second 90s Gamera movie, which is the Gamera versus Gauss analog, which is, you know, him fighting oh. the Gauss species that there's this psychic girl uh, in oh. the town with the like the road crew and all of the same stuff. So I think specifically it is supposed to be uh, them kind of paying tribute to the idea that Aichi actually does have a psychic connection to Gamera. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that could So I mean, I'm still reaching with the psychic connection right. to all kaiju thing, but Yeah, well, I mean, somehow he just, he really just happens knows, to know where Gauss is. Maybe he just really knows this mountain. Well, I mean, yeah, he he has lived there all of his life. <laughs> and he, he he's like a little kind of cute shit disturber kid. You know, he's gone into the woods. He's an explorer. Mhm. So he takes him to the cave. He he takes the reporter to this cave where we see the green glow. And then there's like an earthquake, basically. Yeah, an earthquake and a cave-in. And the reporter looks at Aichi, who is like, help me, <laughs> help me, help me help. I'm scared. Help me, reporter, I'm scared. And then he looks and he can get to Aichi. He's not blocked, but uh, rocks are still falling. He runs for the exit instead while the Aichi yep. this just leaves boy, him to die is screaming at this at him to help him and he this guy sucks i hate this guy already (laughs) i hope this guy gets what's come oh he's already dead yeah he he runs outside into gauss's hand (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so he runs outside he's like catching his breath he looks back into the cave and then suddenly he goes up into the air Really great shot again, just another pretty cool effect with just like he's catching his breath and then just the camera starts moving up in the air with him. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> it looks so like cool. oh, ah, ah. And then and, and you just see munched, yeah, you just see Gauss's uh chomping, close up of him chomping down. Yeah, and, and like a scream. It's great. And <laughs> And it's here at the 17-minute mark where we meet Gauss, not the 50-minute mark. Right. And from That's here very on, important. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love what they did with Baragon, but Absolutely. it would work again. Well, 
it's weird it wouldn't work again except that's all of the american kaiju movies like that is 2014 godzilla as we were discussing that episode like that is kind of weirdly yeah. the template of modern uh yeah, kaiju films yeah but you gotta make it you gotta make it work i don't know how to explain how you make it work but Baragon made it work these ones are, the newer ones are kind of hit or miss some work some don't yeah, and like it's mixed. Uh, obviously, the Baragon one totally did not work for the audience they kind of ended up getting. So no, it, it probably no, it wouldn't wasn't work for the kids. Best that was for no. me. Yeah, that 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 was for like people who are just fascinated by the kaiju film concept. But yeah, yeah, that's you know, that's for like that wasn't yeah, the audience then. Like yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so Gauss Munch is the photographer. It's absolutely great. And then he's menaced, he starts menacing Aichi and almost yep. eats him. But of course, Gamera comes to the rescue. Yep. <laughs> comes out of, uh, comes out of nowhere and, oh gosh, what is he? So the fight scenes have all kind of blurred together for me. So I don't remember specifically what he does here. So this one has a couple of really cool things. Uh, this is the battle where he does, in his shell form, he spins down a hill, like, oh, like a wheel. Yeah. Yeah. He hits Gauss, which I is really is, rad. I think this is the first time he's done that. Yes. Uh, well, and, and it's just really impressive because it's a full suit. So it's someone in a shell rolling oh God, down really? a hill. Didn't just towards, roll down a... Well, because they... Do, well, I don't know, but like it certainly hits the other guy pretty hard. I don't know what they're oh, doing. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they, that's true. But, it hits the guy. Uh, but yeah, like they actually roll just the giant full-size shell at the other person anyways and this is also the first introduction of the blowtorch but like a full flamethrower suit that they're like flamethrowing at the other suit <laughs> yep yep and it's tremendous like a long jet of flame this is mm -hmm. this is the real deal this is the this is like the same thing that that uh, leonardo dicaprio was complaining about the heat on in uh uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, he's like, it's real hot. And coming out of a suit, <laughs> a big rubber suit. Like they must have made it. Yeah. Like a flamethrower suit. They must have made a special suit just to be able to do that. They must have. And it's so impressive. Mm -hmm. And this is also the battle where at the end of it, Aichi is placed on Gamera's back and taken home to safety. Now, is this the one where he gets shot in the arm? Uh, yes, he, he, he gets lasered pretty bad and just gushes green blood. Okay. So oh, we didn't really talk about what that much about what Gauss looks like. Cause this is the first oh, time yeah. we see it. Yeah, yeah. A big, like completely like flat headed giant pterodactyl. Like triangle head. Very, very yeah. like sharp. Uh, very, like, very angular. Like a pyramid head, uh, yeah. like uh, coming to a point with the beak, with yeah, teeth yeah. on the beak that couldn't yeah, be teeth useful. On the beak. Eh, they're well. big and round. <laughs> they're they're not quite as silly as giant claw, but they're a little silly. Yeah, but you know, I'll defend Gauss. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, he's got like this cool, like kind of sparkly purple hat, like hide. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, uh, he, like, as I mentioned when we were doing the power profile, he's got like a glass top to the skull and it glows green or red sometimes when he's mad or hungry. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and, and yeah, he just he, he looks like a dark goth pterodactyl with like weird alligator teeth. And right, and like big bat wings. Big bat wings. It's actually actually you know it looks more like a bat than a pterodactyl. Yes, very bat like. They they were trying to do like a Dracula thing. Well, yeah, it it works. It's a good design. I like it. I like it too. Uh, um, so I think, I think for so, some yeah, of the and, ones where he's flying, they just painted oh, yeah. a toy airplane and put a Gauss <laughs> head on it. The Gauss glider is very funny. Uh, that that's that's the next fight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when when he flies to Nagoya, uh, but. So yeah, a really fun battle. He we we get to see the laser in action. He really fucks up Gamera's arm. A lot of just like green goo firing everywhere out of him. Oh yeah, uh, this laser's serious business. Yeah, and somehow, anyways, he he runs him off, and and Gamera just like all right, he he puts Aichi on his back, just like sets him on one of his uh, spikes. And just oh, yeah. flies it's... him down to a, a Ferris wheel in town. Yeah, there, there's a cool shot of Aichi. I guess he's on like a a green screen or whatever they used back then. Right. Uh, where he's like on Gamera's hand and it just looks really cool. And, and Gamera like caught him out of the air. Mm-hmm. And he like carefully places him on his back and then flies him into town. And then gently moves close to the Ferris wheel so the guy can rescue him. Yeah, Tsutsumi, of course, shows up to uh, bring him down because he's the responsible adult in the movie. And notably, he's not spinning when he flies here. Right, which is actually uh, very, very important. Very important. <laughs> uh, that would work. Then we get the news headlines, and I laughed my ass off when I saw Aichi rides Gamera as one of the headlines. Because <laughs> <laughs> Aichi's the star here, not Gamera. Not yeah. Gamera saves child. It's like, oh, Aichi's at it again. This time he's riding Gamera. What will Aichi do next? <laughs> Help Gamera defeat Gauss, but that's coming up. Right, and of course here we get the all-important Science Man Explained sequence. <laughs> uh, with the, with these great drawings of uh, Gauss. Oh, and and we learn how he got his name. Aichi just called him that, and they had. You can see on the diagram they had their own name for it, but they just decided to go with his. Yeah, because he's Cause, he's in charge here. Every time he comes one, in with a new plan, they're like, "Yep, that's what we're doing." He's the one who knows. Yeah. So we learn about the forked spine and that this yeah. creates a tuning fork and that's how he can fire his laser. We we learn basically how lasers work and get a history of lasers in a yeah. slideshow presentation. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wait, so that means it can't turn its head. And then it's like, oh, let's let's have an attack. And they, they go on all attack right away right without away. thinking for a second, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's mass carnage. Like- <laughs> it's literally begin the attack. It's like not even mention of a plan. It's like attack what, how, where? Yeah, because they're like, hey, I mean, it can't turn its head, so we just need to attack from the right direction. So attack, attack, go. <laughs> yep, and they they send out their planes, uh, their bombers, like bombers and missiles and stuff. And we get some amazing shots of planes cut in twain by the laser, just like the helicopter earlier. Yeah, just slicing off the wings. Uh, the, these are more obviously models getting chopped yes. off, but 
still a very cool effect oh it's a great effect like there's one where the plane gets chopped in half and like the you know that the front and back are being held on on two different strings and it just pulls them apart but it's so good like it always looks cool i miss practical effects in movies there's so much charm to them there's there's that tactile nature like yeah i mean don't get me wrong i like cgi uh there there's certainly a place for it but absolutely sometimes it can be done very well but i miss this kind of stuff and you don't get a lot of it i that's something i like about christopher nolan uh tenet has some fun practical effects oh shit shoot yeah we can swear (laughs) what this is our show what am i doing i I, i'm in work mode for some reason second (laughs) oh fuck so hilariously we see all of this mass carnage and just all of their tanks being destroyed and their planes just being lasered out of the air and just oh stop the attack <laughs> and we don't even see Gios. he doesn't even come up he's doing this from his hole yeah it's just beams <laughs> uh-huh. and then aichi has this fantasy imagining that gamera is healing his laser wounds underwater and yeah. this i think is a direct a suggestion of him having a psychic link because it's actually happening and he's imagining yes. him in place. Yeah. And he's like, he's, and he's saying, like mentally projecting better, himself there. Get yeah. Better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And then like, he goes to sleep in the same position that uh, Gabriel goes to sleep in and it superimposes the shots. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think that he, yeah. Um, I mean, no, I'm sure I, I, I do agree. Like, yeah, there, like there's said, totally I'm, I'm that not the only one who's thought of that. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely, uh, I, I don't know if it was intended, but it's a very clear reading to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will take it until I'm told otherwise by another movie, not just like somebody J.K. Rowling and, and saying <laughs> Aichi like, got married to Toshio from the first one. Although that would be fun. So, that would be fun. <laughs> so uh, that night, Gauss comes out. And he uh, takes out, I, I guess he either runs off or devours all the horses and cattle. We, we see a stampede. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, isn't he kind of like a chupacabra too then? Sort of. He, he's kind of just into eating stuff. Like he's yeah. just devouring anything with blood. He's just a yeah, carnivorous he's... giant bird. But he, he loves humans. He, he's, humans are his favorite, like popcorn. Yeah, yes, he like pops him into his mouth like popcorn. So the next morning, of course, the road workers are like, "We're through with this. We're we're going." And Satsumi is like, "Yeah, I get it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, the but Bulk and Skull are like, "We're still with you, boss." It's like, well, "There's nothing for you to even do here." Yeah, it's like, well, okay. I mean, I'll I'll stick with Jay and Silent Bob. They can just hang out here, and they'll <laughs> they'll probably be useful for something somewhere down the line. But the the rest of these guys are like, we're we're leaving. This is stupid. <laughs> we can't do this <laughs> we anymore. We are not getting paid enough for this. Yeah, we're it's joining like, anti work. If if things ever pick up again, call us back and hire us. And he's like, I will. I I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, so- I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, like the chief here, I, I like this character because he does he, he does seem to have everybody's best interest at heart, even if his boss doesn't necessarily. And sort of in contrast to that, we see the villagers just turning into a rabble. They're they're yeah. getting antsy about the road being rerouted, 
and they're really worried that they might possibly get nothing and just still be living in their village. <laughs> yeah. It's they like, really don't want it. Yeah. They're like, our scam isn't working. What should we do? And they're starting to get pissed off at the grandpa. But every time he's like, just stay calm. We'll wait it out and it'll work. It'll be fine. But they just keep getting more antsy every time we see them in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so then Aichi visits with the generals because he has to tell them how to take the next step. And he's like, hey, you know, Gauss only comes out at night. And this is where they realize, oh, he's a vampire. And if we keep lots of lights on and flares ready, we can probably keep him away. Now, they happen to be correct, but that is a huge leap. He might just be a nocturnal creature who hunts better at night. Absolutely. But, like, I mean, he's a bat, but you know what? Sure. But Aichi they, came they up get with it right. It. Yeah, so of course <laughs> it's going to be right. And it is right. Like floodlights even are enough to at least. Yeah, he just him. hates the light. He hates uh, the really light. not a morning person. Just totally nope. not a morning person. When we see him just like having light shone on him, just does look like he's been woken up with too much light and is just not happy to be there. <laughs> <laughs> like it's hard to explain why this. Uh, suit is so expressive in that way but that's always the look I feel he has I hate being woken up (laughs) his face doesn't even move that much but he still manages to express emotion manages to express emotion I'm just like or at least that emotion (laughs) yeah uh, he's me he's me in the morning (laughs) yeah so they're like okay comic relief guy number one you take first watch for some reason (laughs) (laughs) yeah why not watch for oh yeah he's watching for gamera so that he can or i think they're watching for gauss yeah yeah and they've got all the lights on just a rose uh, they've got lines of every light bulb that they could find uh lamps all over the place really like cool complicated flare thing yeah, that uh, that they use as a signal and as both and as a weapon, I guess, against Gios. Right. And he wakes up a little bit later because, of course, he falls asleep to yeah. the lights all flickering and Gauss just screaming and hovering over the horizon. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like he's able to. His scream is able. Well, I mean, his scream is his. His laser is a sound weapon, so I guess it, they don't really explain it, but his scream It's like a do jamming some weapon too. of some sort. Like, it, it seems to jam transmission or electricity, because, yeah, yeah the, the lights yeah. are all flickering for some reason. Yeah, and I think it might even be his scream that caused the cave-in in the first place. Could be, yeah. Could be, yeah. And then, so they, they, they get in contact, and they send the flare-up that they've been preparing, and... It's like, okay, everyone attack Yaos. This will totally work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they set it up so that they're going to be fighting him right before sunrise. Right. Um, I, but I guess he got going too early because he yeah. has a bit of time to go for it. Like, there's a whole battle here. because uh, oh. and, and he goes on a rampage before Gamera even shows up. Because, like, first... They've got all the tanks and they're shooting at him and they somehow did not plan to get behind him enough uh, because they're all in front of him and he does his hurricane wing flap. Oh, yeah. This is the first time we see that. Yeah. Yeah. I I also love the gradual uh, reveal of their powers in these things. Yeah. Like because 
each time you, there, there's got to be a new way to deal with the threat. Yeah, but but it always feels natural. Like it's not like anime today where it's like right. I've been saving my greatest attack just because. It's like they're using the power that would make sense for them to use. Well, and because they're all within the design of the suit and the the monster, so it just kind of feels like I mean, you know, it was there. We we saw those wings. They had to do something. Yeah, let's give them hurricane powers. And sure, I buy it completely. The we see the skinny comic relief guy lifted in the air on really obvious wires when he's caught up yes. in the hurricane wind. Oh, it's fun though. It's fun. It's and fun. and all it. of the tanks, all of them, all of the miniature tanks get blown away. Yeah. Uh, and then Gauss is pissed off and he flies to Nagoya and goes on a rampage. And this is where we get the glider Gauss, which I think is very funny. <laughs> it's so good. It, it's it clearly just one piece. Sh- mm-hmm. It does not have movement. It's like, it, it's a lot like giant claw in that regard yes very it's much. just a thing hanging from a from a string and like not even articulated like it is just like triangular it kind of looks like a stealth bomber I, I really do think they took a stealth bomber toy and but this is before the stealth bomber exists the, the stealth bomber didn't exist oh God, for like right. a few more decades but yeah it's it's got that kind of like triangular shape of some kind yeah like maybe sort of the Kind of like a proto F-15 kind of shape. Maybe. But it's he's, he's like perfectly flat back. It's it's cool, but it's it's I very like it. obviously just like a glider that is on a wire. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> but he, it's a fun rampage. We get a lot of buildings cut in half. Uh, you know, uh, oh, he really cool, he like a lasering through. Buildings. Yeah, just lasering through the middle of a building, like diagonally, and then it collapses in. That's a cool look that we haven't seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a train. <laughs> yep. He, he attacks this train and he lasers it in, or he lasers the roof off and then like grabs <laughs> handfuls of people to eat. Yeah, he lasers like, he horizontally lasers off the top half of the train. And thankfully, every single person knew, on the train knew to duck. It seemed to be just the very roof because like it's, they, they're still standing and like. Oh, maybe. Maybe he's got like super good precision and he doesn't want to kill them because they taste better alive. Because he likes the taste of them screaming. Because, yeah, he, he, he grabs a handful of them running away and pops them in his mouth and they're munch, munch, munch. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not like a Baragon who got woken up on the wrong side of the bed. This guy wants to kill people. Yeah. Well, he, he wants to eat people. He wants to eat. Yeah. He wants to eat people. And destroy everything. Because, like, everything, he, he's doing a whole making thing. making mad. Yeah. And so uh, they, everyone kind of takes shelter in the baseball stadium, which is the brightest place in the city. They turn on yeah. all the lights. Yeah, they got the floodlights, and, like, he's approaching, and he wants to go there, but he 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 can't. It's just too he bright. Can't, can't deal just, with it. He's like, I, I, don't, I don't want these humans that badly. Yeah, and like, uh, it's much too bright over there. So he just goes on a rampage, just kind of walking through town, lasering stuff and just like destroying things. And we see some reporters just out driving around looking for photos of Gauss. Uh, and they're driving a car and their car comically gets lasered in half. Oh, yeah. So so they're driving away on one half of their half car. 
like one guy gets left in the other half and like they have to stop and he runs and like gets on the kind of corner of the lasered car. It's great. It's so good. I love that. Like you it's can ridiculous. see this. You can see the stand that the uh, lasered off piece of car is standing on. <laughs> that it's like not, uh, you know, that that it's a prop, but it's still so great. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I, I love it so much. And then finally, Gamera turns up for battle number two, which is our aerial battle. Yeah. Uh, so here we see Gamera's shell withstanding the lasers. Mm-hmm. And Gamera's trying, like, it's it's a weird thing. Like, he's locked onto him in his shell form somehow, and he's, like, trying to force him away. Yeah. Um, is this the one where he's, like, pile driving him into the ground? That's later. This is or the is one where he okay. uses the yellow gunk and he clogs oh, up the rock. Right, right. Because, uh, like, Gamera's. Yeah, he's, like, stuck underneath Gamera somehow. Yeah, well, but like, yeah. they're in the air and he's, like, kind of pushing him somewhere, I guess. And the sun is rising by this point, which is important. Oh, yes. We see, actually, like, his head is burning up. Uh, like, this. Well, in a little bit, because red. right, because then they they crash into the sea because he he clogs him up with he clogs up all the rockets with his yellow gunk that comes out of his nipples. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, angry yellow goo fly, angry yellow smoke flies out of my nipples. And they crash oh. into the sea. <laughs> they they crash into the sea and have a, a nice little kaiju brawl uh, yeah. as the sun rises. Uh, Gauss is trying to get away and Gamera bites into his foot. Oh, yeah. And he's like trying to fly and Gamera is like, get back here, you bastard. We didn't mention, but Gamera's got some crazy killer teeth on him. Oh, yeah. Big, big tusks. Yeah. And you do not want to get bit by that. No. And Gauss uh, shoots him in the head with the laser a few times and gets some like solid hits like just green goo flying out of Gamera's head can't be good yeah Yeah, but Gamera still holds on so Gauss lasers off his own toe yeah he loses most of his foot in his escape yep and then he does get away he does get away and hilariously we we find some port construction workers you know like the early 60s version (laughs) of Frank Sabatka they're like some floating toes that's weird (laughs) And the, the, well, the, the did you toes not are... know there was a giant fight over your heads? I guess. They, they <laughs> just, like, float into the harbor, and they're shrinking, oh, I guess. which is weird. Yes, they are shrinking over time. Slowly, Very but important. they are. Because they, this scientifically proves that Gauss will die in sunlight with long enough exposure, apparently. Mm-hmm. That's what we're told. That's what we're told. It's good enough. But in the meantime, we see Gauss regrowing his toes, just like angrily like standing there pushing (laughs) out a new toe he's mad he's like stomping and raging and like (laughs) the toe just like thrusts out and it's finally there and like a stalactite a stalactite stalactite. he bumps one with his wing uh, the one that comes down from the ceiling what yes whatever that one is bump don't Put the don't push the hang up button on my phone. Don't do that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, the the stalactite. That's right. I think it's stalactite. Yeah. Um, 
and it falls on his newly regrown toes. And instead of screaming, he just goes, his eyes close, and he's just silent, like, yeah, just like, oh my god. I just imagine it. Yeah, it's it's that sort of thing, like, damn it. He's really pissed off at himself. He's like, so done with it. I, I, I love that moment. Just great, it's great. It's so good. It's, and so, it's, like, we, we see so the scientists. It's too. Like, we've given it yeah. way more attention than the actual runtime of that moment. But it's, it's just, so like, a good pause. Uh, and then, of course, with, with the scientists showing about the toes and all of that, that they're shrinking, Eiichi shows up to get the new info because, you know, he's got to keep informed. Oh, yeah. If he doesn't... He, he needs to know all the new stuff so that he can devise the strategy. And this is where he mentions the word turning, which inspires the next plot. Because he's talking about yeah. how Gamera didn't need to turn to take him to the thing, as we mentioned earlier. I, I was a little confused until I, I think, until I realized that they meant turning, like turning, they were using that word the way we would use spinning. Yes. So it confused me at first, but yeah, that. It's turning. They mean spinning. Right. Basically. So because Gamera didn't spin to deliver him, they're thinking, oh, but like Gauss, obviously, he can't even turn his neck. So he's not used to turning around much. And they're like, hey, I bet we could just get Gauss really dizzy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this plan is ridiculous. And I love that it works. And also they're like, I've been developing this fake blood. It's just like real human blood, but it's fake. Yeah, the only <laughs> thing about that's human blood about it is the smell and the taste. So it'll be enough to lure Gios. And they, blood. they they set him up on a rotating restaurant as a trap. <laughs> oh, this is so cool. So it looks they've they turned the restaurant into a fountain of uh, blood fountain. Blood. Yeah, soy blood. A, a soy blood fountain that spins around. And this restaurant uh, spins so fast. Like, well, like, no, they're they're overtaxing they, it. Yeah, that yeah. we actually see them building this whole thing, and so presumably they beef up the motor, too. Right. And, and they are overtaxing the motor as well, because we see that she can't hold no more. Nope, she kinda. Uh, and so we see Gauss arrive. Gauss gets on the thing and is absolutely loving the fake blood. We we just see like Gauss's mouth in the blood, just sucking it in. Just like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like his name is Cookie Monster. And he's not a fan of the spinning. It starts spinning and just does not like that at all. But it's kind of stuck oh there. Oh my now. god, so much free blood. So much free blood too. Like, I don't even have to kill tiny little, like, s human smarties. And, like, very soon the generator can't take the strain and explodes. <laughs> like, they didn't plan it all that well. <laughs> well, I mean, they only have, like, a day to think of each of these plans. That is true. Like, this, this is actually kind of a feat of human engineering right here. That is true, yeah. And, and of course... Actually, that's, that kind of goes back to the point, like, most of these will have some kind of amazing feat of human engineering. And usually it fails, cool. which yeah, is also kind of fun. They're, they will allow it, it to fail. They'll allow it to fail, but it still helps. 
Yeah, until they come up with one that works or Gamera saves them. Usually yeah. Gamera will save them, but like they they will they're putting in the effort as things go. <laughs> and so not just Gauss, uh, killing it with missiles all the time. Well, because like it never works. <laughs> it never works. And it, it never works. It feels works. like in kaiju movies they never learn, but in these it feels like they do and they come up with cool. Sh- I, I'm just yeah. I know I'm just repeating myself, but I like that about the Gamera series. Yeah, the first time they'll usually try rockets. It's like, well, we we've got these rockets. We may as well try them. It's like, nope, that didn't let's do see it. If this one, let's see if this one dies to rockets. Yeah, oh. but but oh, everything well. after that is like, okay, so we're gonna have to try something different next time. So and the ball will hit the stick, which will <laughs> trigger the giant cage, which will fall down, and <laughs> I'll win the mouse trap. Yeah. So Gauss gets really mad. He uh, the when the generator explodes and he's finally off the spinning thing and he he gets so mad he just destroys the whole building and then the factory which like the generator building is on fire and he puts it out with his yellow foam because he he hates that fire. Yeah, yeah. Even though he started it, so that's well, he didn't start it. The explosion started it. Right. Uh, well, he did. He is kind. Of, is he? I can't remember. He's kind of like wobbly here too, isn't he? Like he falls into yeah. some power lines. He he's he's got the dizzies a bit, but then yeah. he flies away. Yeah, he so yeah, he was able to fly away. And there's a reporter. Yeah. Can't be <laughs> a, that dizzy. A reporter, uh, hyperbolically, nothing can kill Gauss. Man's hopes have faded. Oh yes. Man's <laughs> greatest plan has failed. It's like, well, I mean, it was a decent plan, but it is could a have just got plan, a better generator. I don't know. Yeah, maybe waited. The, well, they didn't want to wait another day. You you got this gauss flying around, I guess. It's true. I mean, he's he's a big trouble. He's. He, but Aichi yeah. has another plan. Good, good, <laughs> of good. We need it. So we have to, <laughs> if we can't do it, let's call Gamera. So or, no, or is that not yet? Sort of. Uh, well, that that is kind of part of it. Uh, the the thing is, I I think it's really funny that we have this reporters like nothing can kill Gauss. This is the end of the world. And then we we cut to the villagers, and they're still just mad at Aichi's grandpa. And they're like, we, oh, we yeah. should have sold already. This is bullshit. And uh, humans can't get off their bullshit when a catastrophic thing is happening. It's in all of these movies. And Aichi gets I didn't really upset it at them. first. But, you know, <laughs> recent times, these trying times. These trying times. And Aichi gets really upset with them for getting upset with his grandpa. Yeah, like, don't be mean to my grandpa. And he throws all his toys at them. Yeah. And then he's, like, angrily drawing and crying a bit. And he thinks, well, we should just start a forest fire. And that will attract Gamera because fire is his favorite. And then he'll fight Gauss. Yeah, because Chaos, as we see, hates fire. Gamera right. loves fire. Should be a should be a, pos- a positive type matchup. And Grandpa, he's like, you know, that actually totally makes sense. And he goes to the military, and they're totally into it. And someone actually says, "The forest fire is our last hope." Incredible line. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> And this is when we have this movie in 2022. Well, because the next scene we have is our heroic clear cut scene. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how culture has changed. How cultures are different. Yeah. I could not make this movie in Canada in 2022. You would not get away with it. Not since 
at least the 80s. Uh, yeah. Knowing, yeah. yeah. Uh, my, our, my, our dad, my dad was our, in the logging industry throughout my childhood, so I'm very familiar with all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, of course, our hearts go out to everybody who has been affected by the forest fires of recent years oh, and, yeah. uh, unfortunately... Future years. Upcoming years. It's Yeah, uh, this that's, is, that's this kind of where we're at now. now. So just before sunrise, they start firebombing the area around Gauss to start a giant forest fire. <laughs> 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 and yep. he immediately puts it out with his yellow spray and screams at them a bit. <laughs> and so and they like, do well, it again. <laughs> just keep doing it. <laughs> and he sprays it down again, but then Gamera shows up. And we yeah. get our big laser versus flamethrower battle, which is yes. extremely rad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Gamera starts a big fire and Gauss is putting it out. And then Gamera like turns into the 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 the, the, the full spinning shell and yeah. ramps him from behind, grabs him by his legs, bites into a wing and just tears a big chunk of bat wing out. <laughs> Yeah, he basically tears a chunk of bat wing out and it's, like spits it out. It's hanging from his tusk for a moment. And he's like shaking his head to get it off. It's great. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> like for for kids' movies, these monster battles are vicious. They're very gory. There's always like, so much blood. It really feels like two animals fighting each other. Yeah, but like weird super animals with like all sorts oh, yeah. of crazy powers. Oh yeah, but like they they act like animals still. It's great. I well, love the, this movie so much. So then there's the, the Gamera dodging lasers bit, which is really <laughs> funny. It's just him just dodging all of his limbs back and forth out of uh, the laser range. Yeah, yeah, because of course he has learned to not target the shell. Yes, uh, but he does get Gamera's tail really bad, and it gets all sliced up. <laughs> yeah. And then like, Gamera completely retreats inside because, you know, he got a pretty bad laser wound. And this is where Gauss is, like, flying him up and dropping him, which is, you know, a thing birds actually do. Like, if they're oh, trying yes. to open a turtle shell or a, like, seashell. Or, 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 or anything. Like nuts, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a neighbor who used to feed the local crows by just throwing all his garbage out onto his back porch. He was... Oh, ultimately taken away and put in an institution but for the period of time that uh he was living there we often had crows just dropping garbage on our house uh just trying to open garbage up it's great yeah yeah (laughs) very familiar with this stuff crows are smart they remember things like that indeed they came back for quite some time we we saw a lot of crows for a lot of years oh yeah so uh, he he drops him a few times, and then Gamera pe- peeks back out and gets a strong laser in the face. She's yeah. not too happy about. So but he's then, just go ahead. Like reaching out as he's getting lasered in the shell, he's just like reaching out his hand to grab a big ass boulder, and he just hucks it right into Gauss's mouth. To plug up the plug up the <laughs> plug laser up the hole. Laser. <laughs> <laughs> sure i mean this shows that gamera is smart gamera has has those reasoning skills Mm -hmm. uh so he tackles him and he digs his tusks into gauss's throat just bloody bright purple blood just like spurting out everywhere 
and Gamera's blood, when we see it, is bright green. Bright uh, green. Yeah. Uh, and thick stuff, too. Like, <laughs> they, they do not spare this liquid stuff. No. Uh, and that's kind of it for Giaus. Uh Gamera takes off. He exposes him to the rising sun and basically just drags him up Mount Fuji so he can drop him in the still active volcano of Mount Fuji. Yep. And then I guess he's just flying off into outer space. No, he well, flies off into the sunrise. I would say notably first in in parallel to uh, Baragon's final rainbow, we see one final beam of laser flying off into the sky uh, when Gauss gets dumped into the volcano. Mm-hmm. Right. R.I.P. Gauss. <laughs> and yeah, then Gamera flies off. Aichi waves goodbye. Uh, but we do also see that the villagers did still get to sell their houses. Yep, uh, they got <laughs> to sell their houses. The highway people got to make their highway. Everybody was happy with the outcome of this. Uh, that's that's cool. That's yep. something I'm not used to. Progress marches on, and we get our first Gamera theme song. It's oh my god, it's it's great. It's I, I didn't catch any of the lyrics, but it's like sung by children, and it's like an elementary school song. It's pretty cute. It's not the more famous kids Gamera song, which I think we get maybe in the next one, the Gamera March, which is pretty famous. Uh, and it, like that one's stuck in my head still. But th- this one I can't quite as clearly recall, but it's still really fun. Yeah, it is. So that's it. That is the end of Gamera versus Giaus. What a fun time. <laughs> oh, I love these. I love these movies. Gauss is a lot of fun. I, I like I still prefer Baragon. Baragon is my fave, but Gauss is really cool. Gauss is a good match for Gamera. Just so many cool things that he can do. A lot of neat little uh, effects. Yeah, like each of them has has a move that can cancel out a move of the mm-hmm. other one. So they both kind of have to. Yeah, like like it's a really even matchup. Yeah. Uh, so any last thoughts on Gamera versus Gauss before we head to Kokoti Kokoda? Um, I wonder if uh, if Aichi's uh, psychic link is what gave uh, Gamera the idea to throw the rock because we see Aichi using a slingshot in an earlier seed. Mm, could be. Could be. Could Absolutely be. could be. It could uh, be Chekhov's slingshot because he never got a chance to use it again, really. And I feel like we don't see Aichi in any further movies. Maybe from this point forward, Aichi is secretly the mind of Gamera. (laughs) All right, I'll take it. I'll go with it. We'll we'll, we'll have to keep that in mind when we get to our next one. Uh, So uh, that next one is Gamera versus Virus. As I mentioned Virus. earlier, that's we're we're going into the sea, and we've also got aliens coming to Earth. I think they're cannibals. They're usually cannibals. Okay. Uh, and I think this one's you got two little boy protagonists. They're Boy Scouts who steal a submarine, <laughs> somehow get involved with aliens and sea monsters, and Gamera obviously has to come I and love this help shit. out. I love this shit. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's a real popcorn movie so much yeah and they're like just popping popcorn just like yo's popping people <laughs> yeah yeah all right uh we'll head on to part two
And we're back for our second part, uh, where we're going to be talking about the 2019 film Coco di Coco da. Uh, but first, we want to talk briefly on a couple other movies we watched this weekend. Uh, first, There's Nothing Out There. It's, uh, it's a horror movie about uh, kids going into a wood, into a uh, summer, their parents' like summer camping home woods thing house. Similar you know to the, the one story. we see in Friday the 13th, the remake that we discussed. Quite similar. Yeah, you know the story. Um, parents not home, fuck house in the woods. Yeah, like a, a really nice cabin. Uh, mm-hmm. Like not, not just a cheap cabin, but like a nice, high-quality one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the one guy is like, oh my god, you guys, this is just like the whole... Well, they see, they see um, a crashed car, so the guy's like, oh my god, this is just like a horror movie set up, and he's just like i've seen all the horror movies i know that this is how we're gonna get killed and they're all like there's nothing out there come on there's nothing out there of course there is absolutely something out there there's an evil frog monster from space that uh can control minds with its laser eyes <laughs> but it's so it's much also fun. very stupid it's very dumb can be very easily tricked uh but it can melt people with its spit yeah i mean it it gets most of these people it's it's uh, oh, yeah. uh, not it's, as many as you might figure there, there's more survivors than you expect um they do eventually wise up and use their own intelligence and horror movie tricks and uh i'm gonna just say movie tricks themselves uh, yeah there's some fun tricks. fourth wall breaks some fun fourth wall breaks that's uh, definitely my favorite thing in the movie it's yeah. it's fun it's kind of scream-esque but like five years before something like that i think it's 91 yeah. and scream is 96 yeah. it's fun yeah. uh it's it's a it's a really weird little low budget comedy horror and kind of leaning more on the comedy but not really doing disservice to the horror because it's pretty gory yeah. there's oh, some yeah. pretty fun sequences uh and just like the more you are like like familiar with horror film and just the, the the tropes of horror film probably the more you'll get out of it mm-hmm. kind of scream owes a, i don't know if scream actually owes anything to this movie if they even knew about it at all but th- there's a lot there's a lot similar yeah i feel like just the feel of it yeah at, at the time scream came out i do feel like the makers of this did feel like they were kind of ripped off, but I don't know how much. I mean, it's it's a very different style of movie because it's a woods-based monster one rather than uh, a slasher movie. It, but like having that rules guy is is very distinct, uh, and like different from what you get in Cabin in the Woods. Even though Cabin in the Woods right. is kind of maybe closer to this in lineage. Yeah, but. Actually, yeah, I would agree that Cabin in the Woods is closer, but it's also Cabin in the Woods is very much its own thing, completely independent from like Scream and this. Yeah, and it's quite a bit later, but yeah, yeah it's, it's oh yeah, part a lot of that later, whole but, thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, we watched the Chinese Boxer, you know, the, now, the first Shaw Brothers kung fu film. Yeah, now you've you've mentioned this. Uh, we've talked. You've mentioned this. Br- uh, a few times on the show, but I've never gotten around to walk, to picking it. Our friend uh, that we were hanging out with on the weekend actually picked it, and I'm amazed at how, for being the first kung fu movie, I'm amazed at how like it it didn't it it's already feels really refined. Like the formula is there, 
The uh, fights are great. Of, they're great. Like they're not. They're not bad fights. They're good fights. These are, like, they, they knew what they were doing. It's just. Yeah, like the choreography is really strong. Sometimes it does feel slightly stiff, but for the most part, like, it, it really. It's just like them introducing the culture of the Kung Fu movie. And they're like, hey, you want to know what Kung Fu is? And then they go through why people do Kung Fu and what Kung Fu is about and why it's important. And then then they really carefully introduce the world. Yeah, but then, of course, you have the evil guy who's like, I am going to take over this school by... No, I'm going to topple this school. Topple the school, yes, you're right. He is not taking it over. He is going to destroy it and then put up a casino. Yeah, by and, beating up all the students of the school. Right. And I think uh, Fist of Fury, the first big Bruce Lee movie, uses exactly the same plot. Like literally the exact same plot, except it's based on a real historical incident. There's so many Kung Fu movies out there with this yes. exact plot. But but I think notably, it's just because it's the first Bruce Lee one and it's the one that launched him. The same as this launched Kung Fu as a concept. It's cool. Yeah. Well, this one has this one also has samurai and uh, and wire fighting. You got some kendo. Bit. Yeah, you got some kendo, some judo. Um, and it's so hilariously bloody. Just it's so bloody. There's there's so much blood. There's so much eye gouging. Uh, our good guy has like the iron hands, and he <laughs> will just like grab chunks out of the <laughs> the bad guy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but. And, like, the bad guy is just, like, this ruthless, brutal, like, how dare you even insult the way I look? I'm just going to lose my shit. Uh, the the first time the main samurai guy gets mad, it, like, someone says something negative about him and he just screams and rockets 20 feet in the air and breaks the roof. Like, it's an he anime reaction. table. <laughs> like. Yeah. Rules. It's so much fun. It's so cool. It's so over the top. I, I, with a name like the Chinese boxer, I thought it was just going to be like a, kind of like a more grounded or down to earth kind of kung fu movie. No, this is, this is that violent, crazy, over the top shit. I love it. It's it's so great. Uh, really bloody. You got one really excellent decapitation. Just so mm-hmm. much fun. The throwing stars, the sword scenes. Ah, oh, just great. Uh, you have so, duels in the snow, everything. It's all there. <laughs> get, uh, the the gambling fight scene that is Quentin Tarantino oh, yeah. basic definitely was influenced. The crazy by this. eighty-eight sequence from uh, from Kill Bill it, it definitely takes some influence from this movie for sure. Oh yeah, there, there's. And, like, it's probably acknowledged. I think he did, like, a big list of movies. He's like, yeah, I was totally boring from this and this and this and this and this. And I'm pretty sure it's just on the list because he's really open about that stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like normally this would be one of those things where I would say, I wonder if Quentin Tarantino saw this. And, yeah, Quentin Tarantino saw this. Oh, of Quentin Tarantino has seen this for sure. <laughs> 100%. I bet well, he, he loves it. He probably shows it at his own film festivals because he does those. Oh, probably. Uh, anyway, so our second feature, uh, director Johannes Nyholm's 2019 film Coco di Coco da. Really interesting movie. Yeah, I, 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 even though I've watched the whole thing and I understand the sequence of events, I struggle to understand exactly what's going on here. 
there's appears to be kind of like a Groundhog Day loop going on. Um, the bad guys are, I think, I can't tell if they're monstrous or just jerks. Well, it's sort of weird because, so our bad guys, and they're, they're each, they're, there's three guys. There's the, the guy in the white suit, who's the uh, leader. Yeah. You've yeah, got... He, Looks like one of those like shifty song and dance merchant type guys from old timey. Yeah, he, he's somewhere in between the music man and a simple country lawyer. Yes. Uh, and and then we've got uh, our, our giant hulking brute man who's just huge. He, his face kind of reminds me of John Tron and that's how I have him written down in the books, <laughs> in the notes. Just like John Tron, but like with ogre makeup yeah like, to and make then a bit more ogrely and then there's the lady who has just really big hair uh and she doesn't really do a whole lot it's well, it's mostly the, the other two yeah oh yeah that's right she has the gun at the end of she, most sequences she walks the dog yes she the, walks the, the dog on dog. The, on the actual uh music box which is a very important item Yes. But yeah, I like I, I guess the thing is the movie does not really have any interest in making clear how it works or no. how any of this happens. It's there more is just no exposition given whatsoever. Yeah, it's just this stuff happens and we, we just kind of experience it. And like, again, it's one of these horror movies that's about grief and it's about, you know, dealing with grief and experiencing grief. And particularly these are two grieving parents who are trying to deal with that before it, you know, completely destroys their marriage cuz like uh, well that's kind of where it's at. I feel like I feel like that ship has sailed. Well, I don't know. I think that's kind of the whole idea of the movie is that, you know, oh. they are at this crisis point and it's this section where they're on this vacation and now they kind of need to work their shit out if they're going to survive and you know be anything if they're they're going to like live their lives if they're going to continue on living uh and and that's kind of what it's about yeah yeah except they don't get a lot of time to do it very very limited window the groundhog loop is it's usually 24 hours in in these films this one has got to be like it's like 20 minutes maybe yeah an hour tops like sometimes maybe 15 minutes like it's strict very very strict and it seems like not have a time to make a plan and it seems like as well you don't have as clear of a memory of what happened before you just know that there's something weird yeah um i i think it becomes more clear over time but i don't think they ever like no no they just get like this overwhelming feeling of gotta go and for the first bunch of times, it's really just the guy because he's the only one who's waking up. He has a very short amount of sleep, and that's kind of probably their time period of reset, which is very, very short. Uh, but first, of course, we start with their initial vacation two years earlier. Yeah, so they're at this um, – I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's like a restaurant at a fancy place – um, in the mountains, I presume, there's this woman who looks like who shows up who looks exactly like all the girls from all the Far Side comics. Yes, she really looks like a Far Side character, and, and they act is, kind of like Far Side characters. They're weird. 
yeah, like I- I'm sure this this woman was at least somewhat inspired by that that look. Well, that, that look was inspired by an actual style, though, at one point. True, but like a really anachronistic style. Yes, yes. Um, so they're making a whole scene. Well, our actual main characters, and I thought the, the, these people would even be our main characters at first. The bunny uh, family. Yeah, but no, the bunny family, they are, uh, they got bunny face paint and bunny ears. I don't know why. Although, I guess, before we see this scene, we see the daughter at the window, right? Oh, like, yes, at, at the, the window, window of where the there's shop. a music shop, a music box in the door. Yeah. And she's just staring at it and staring at it. And, like, the, we, we hear just sort of, like, we only see her, but then we hear the parents arrive, and they're like, why did you run away? And, like, I can't believe this. But they do end up buying this music box for her. Because yeah, she's suddenly obsessed for... with it. Yeah, they're going to give it to her for her birthday. Which is tomorrow. Which is tomorrow. And, yeah. and I guess this bunny thing must be part of their party or maybe part of yeah. where they were before they were go- ended up at this restaurant. Um, it, it, it's not clear and it doesn't super matter because, like, you know how when you're doing something and then everything changes and you don't even remember why you were doing the original thing in the first place? Yeah, it feels um, very surreal and disconnected, and that's why I feel like yeah, so these people. Here's the part where everything changes for them. Yeah, okay. Their... What what I'm saying here. Uh, Sorry. The the I, thing I with just... these people, uh, the the weird people who are like really over the top and have like that strange affect and like seem like far side characters. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like this is so. We we get this period more like a memory than we get it as an early scene that sets things up. It it feels like the way they're remembering it as a nightmare because the way it, it things fit together and the weird intensity of certain things is very strange oh. and it doesn't feel like authentic. It feels like something they're re-experiencing through their grief later. Oh, that's an, in, that's an interesting thought because I, I kind of felt the way about the stuff that we see of the night before the loops start beginning. Yeah, yeah. because like when when we do get the loops, we occasionally get like little fragments of earlier in the evening, but before they can actually do anything about it. So they're still not clued in. We just get fragments. And I feel like maybe it's little fragments of memory. So we're getting them remembering other things, but also remembering a little bit of what happened after. Uh uh Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I think, so yeah, that that gives me an interesting theory that maybe the whole, the only thing we're actually experiencing in real time is the time loops, and maybe all of this is just them remembering or dreaming um, before the guy wakes up, maybe. Yeah, it does seem to be a lot of loops in loops, uh, and, and they're, they are stuck in a loop, like they've kind of just they're they're not really living their lives anymore their lives have become very gray yeah. but of course we, we start with this stuff so yeah they they order uh, uh, beginning the horror of the movie they order a pizza with muscles on it mm, i mean you do you but <laughs> you know this would have prevented the whole thing ew <laughs> i like i am allergic to shellfish so maybe that's partially just me but ew <laughs> yeah yeah 
no, for sure. Um, and, and the wife has a um, allergic reaction, and she's throwing up real bad, like and so she turns bad. They, completely red. Yeah, they have to like get her airlifted to the hospital. Her and the daughter. And well, the like, whole family it, go. It, yeah. But like, there, she's mentioning when they're airlifting her way. Like, she had the daughter had some too. Uh, so I mean, like, m- maybe check to make sure. Uh, but like she's not showing any signs or symptoms. Uh-huh. And but yeah, they and the person, the doctor, or the paramedic or whatever is like, well, sometimes sometimes you can have uh, reactions show up after like your second time of eating muscles or after your thirtieth time. Right. Uh, just because you've done it once doesn't mean you're safe. I don't know if that's true, but that's a terrifying thought. That is true. Yeah. Oh wow! Shit. Yeah, Good like just shellfish allergies in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Dang. That is frightening. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So, of course, like, you know, she's all hooked up and then, you know, it cuts to the next morning and then we we see them like very carefully set everything up to prepare for this little morning happy birthday. And this is another thing that I feel like, again, with the whole memory loop, just like this, the procedure of this sequence is so specific and so detailed. And it's like the first really detailed procedure thing we've seen. It feels like just a really horrible moment that they've gone over a million times. Mm. And just like the hope of it before it was crushed. That the like just that it's it's a it does feel like just an incredibly ominous scene while they're setting everything up. And of course, you know they they go to wake her up and wish her a happy birthday, but she has died. Yeah, of the. Um whatever the the anaplyptic food poisoning shock. the food yeah from from the the muscles yeah food yeah. poisoning and so allergic reaction uh we we don't really get any detail on it because it basically smash cuts to two years later and that's oh yeah it's now cuts to two years later in mid like doctors coming in trying to save her and her freaking out like it just cuts that right off yeah, and then it's like, okay, two years later, we're going on another vacation, but things aren't so good. It cuts it right off where, if it were a dream, you'd wake up screaming. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I like your theory. I like your – I like that. Okay. Um, so uh, what do we have? So this is the – what I've got written down as pre-loop one, but I guess that was all pre-loop one, too. Basically. Uh, yeah. So they're they're driving. Uh, we don't see their faces here. We just the camera is in the back seat of the car, in between the two seats. Uh, we just hear them talking. And they're unhappy. Like they're their their marriage has kind of gone sour. They're kind of picking at each other. They're really not happy at all about anything. Oh no! I forgot. The bunny shadow puppet show happens before this. Oh, right. We have that the one, the first of the two. We we have the introductory show, which is basically a retelling of the opening sequence, but with shadow puppets of bunnies. Yeah. Um. How the like papercraft shadows. Yeah, papercraft. Like, yeah, up against the backdrop of cloth with like trees drawn on in like pencil or charcoal or something, and basically the the child bunny. Uh, I guess I didn't write down what happened here because I was still 
uh, vibing with the music and just yeah, the, it's the, it's the, well, and it's sort of unclear. Like the these sequences again are dreamlike and they're they're metaphorical. So yes. it's it's not she's kind of taken away from them. Yeah, the, like it the shows they're like she's like riding on this bird and then I guess she falls off. I don't. Oh yeah, she she kind of like falls down a hill and and she's. Uh, well, she she dies and then that's it. But it's a lot. It, it's it's a whole like long sequence. Right, and they really, return to it really later. Visually interesting, uh, really good music that I don't remember, but I remember being just entranced by it at the time. It's super cool. I like that this movie tries a lot of different things, like the papercraft yeah. shadow sequences. They're a really unusual flavor to have in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. Uh. So yeah, we they're so yeah we we cut to three years later they're driving in oh, their car yeah yeah um, arguing over some ice cream just on their such way. a petty I mean, it doesn't, yeah, yeah they're arguing they're, over they're arguing over yeah exactly like things are just so bad they're having a really shitty vacation because they hate each other and they hate everything yeah yeah they they they're unhappy and. <laughs> And uh, then we get to the campsite. Like, I think we cut to the campsite. He's having, like, searching around inside the car for something. And she's I just think like, it's the tent. He's having a hell of a time finding the tent itself. And she's just like, I'm done with this. I hate you. I don't even want to be here. Just let me know when you're done. And we have this whole montage of him basically going through hell trying to set up this tent. Yeah, the, the setting up the tent does not go well at all, but he does finally get it set up and like she finally is unwilling to help. She's like she she just doesn't want to camp. She's she hates she camping. Does, like yeah. I don't I don't want to be here. Can we just go find a hotel? Let's let's leave. Yeah, so uh but he does get it set up and we get to the next day. She's the sun hasn't quite come up yet. It's like pre-dawn. Um she's looking outside. She's got to go pee. Yeah, and this is the beginning of the loop. This is the beginning of the loop. All the loops will begin with the same shot of her looking out the little uh, tent window thing. The flap. Yeah, the flap. Uh, she's like, hey, I, there's too many mosquitoes out there. Can I just like pee kind of inside? Because I guess it's one of those tents that's got like a second room. Yeah, there's like, no. like that little exterior thing, like I'll just pee under the canopy. He's like, yeah. no, just go out in the just woods. Just go outside. Just go. Who cares? Just go. Like, so, Jesus, just mosquitoes. But of course, yeah. it's not just mosquitoes. No, it is not. Uh, so she goes outside and she sees a white kitty cat. Well, she's she is taking a pee at the edge of the forest, like right yes. at the very edge of the woods. She like goes up out of the clearing and she looks to her right, and there's this white cat. And I think, does the white cat have a bow tie? <laughs> or is that only on the the uh, poster uh, art? That might just be on the poster art. I don't okay. think this cat had anything. It looked like, it was like an albino cat, I think. Yeah, it's like magical white cat in the forest. And she turns to see it, and it's like, oh, hey, kitty. But then she turns to the left, and here are our three monsters from the uh music box yeah 
Yeah, and we and we saw them also like at the very beginning of the movie, just walking down the woods and singing their coco 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 di coco 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 da coco coco di coco di coco da. Uh, yeah, I already shoot. I already forgot how the tune goes, and I even had it right at the beginning of the show. It has been stuck in my head uh, for two weeks. Uh, I, I know it very well. Uh, but <laughs> so these these three people, they show up. We they're led by this guy in white, uh, and he's the ringleader. There's the he's girl the only who, one who speaks. Yeah, he's the only one who talks. Uh, there's the girl with really big hair. And she's leading a pit bull, I think. I think so. Um, this is and a, then this is a bad dog. <laughs> this is a, a movie that's kind of rough on dogs. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot of dog deaths. There is dog death. The, there's a handful. Thing. And if that's yeah. And, if you and don't notably, like dog death, then you won't like this movie. Don't don't. Well, I, I mean, like, I don't I mean, like dog death, but I like. No, this I'm, movie. I'm sorry if if. <laughs> If be you're really upset by dog death, be, be be advised. Yeah. Be advised and take that into account when deciding whether or not you're going to watch this movie. There you go. It, but like notably, the the third guy is carrying a dead dog. Yes. Uh, a dead. Uh, a dead. Yeah, the same species, and might even be the same dog. No, uh, it's, it's a different no. color dog. Oh, it's a lighter okay. colored dog. It's a dead dog that. Uh, I feel is related to the end of the movie, but we'll get yes. there. So uh, I agree with you there. Yeah. So they show up and they menace her. <laughs> yep. He, the, the old man whacks her with his cane while like in mid piss, uh, the dog yeah. starts licking up the pee, which happens every time. That's part of every cycle. The dog has a thing for drinking urine. Yep. Um, the giant like basically gives her this bear hug mm-hmm. and we, and then we cut to like the tent where we see the husband is watching all of this happen. Yeah. He kind of just, he's, he has no idea what to do, I guess. Yes. And he's also kind of like, again, they're really poisoned. Things are not going mm-hmm. well. So it does not seem like he's willing to risk it. Yeah. And that's part of the thing. He kind of has to be willing to risk it over the course of the different revolutions here. Yeah, so he's digging through his stuff, uh, looking for – we find out it's a knife that he's looking for. He finds it. Mm -hmm. And it's at this point where he hears a gunshot. Yeah, and he he doesn't go out. He doesn't look. He just keeps looking for the knife or stays ready in the tent. He does not leave the tent this time. No, he does not go to check to see what happened with the gunshot. I, I mean, on the one hand, that seems pretty callous. On the other hand, they've got a strained relationship. On the third hand, we know what happened with the gunshot. Yeah, he he probably knows what happened, and uh, what is he going to do about it? He's got the yeah. knife, and he's waiting for these guys to come uh, kill him, yeah. too. Yeah, which they... Which, which they pretty they, much do. Yeah, what they do is they open... The guy, the old man... Uh, cuts the ropes that are holding the tent up and then opens up the zipper and lets his dog in. And then they, you just hear like, you hear them fighting, uh, inside the tent and the old man's like, get him, get him. Yeah. 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 The old man is just enjoying the hell out of this. He, he's really, he's real nasty. Scary. It's Uh, very fun. He's, he's a bad dude. 
and s- somehow our guy does manage to kill the dog and get out of the tent. But then, you know, they have a gun on him and that's yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> they have a gun. Uh, the, the old man makes it clear that she's pointing the gun directly at his testicles. And then we Although have... she's not. She's pointing she's... it at his head, clearly, or at his heart. Like, she, her, her aim is much higher than that, obviously. Oh, okay. Well, but the, he, the guy okay, always but he says it. it that way. Yes. yes. He, he says it a few times. Uh, that That's kind of his thing. He's got a thing about the balls. Yes. Uh, and then we end this loop the way all of the loops end. So uh, I think except for one with just like a long helicopter uh, shot out of the uh, like like bird's eye view. That's what it is. Of, of the, the clearing scene. with with like them with the gun on him. Uh, and. This, to me, also, this has a video game feel to me. It's like, okay, mission failed. You gotta go again. Because this really has that sort this of, like... has the... Uh, you can see the game... The sky shot. As, yep. as it zooms up, you can just see the game over. Or the and, wasted, yep. or you died. Yeah, and it's it's like a loading screen. And like, okay, we're, we're, we're loading back. Gotta try this again. This one didn't work out. Yeah. So, um, so next yeah. one they but before they wake up, before they wake we up, get we a get a few flashes. Yeah, which uh, to other things that happened earlier in that night. Them here, driving there. Yeah, they're driving. Here is where she really, really wants them to go to a B and B. She says to him, "Please, can we not camp? I don't want to camp. Can we stop at the nearest B and B?" He's like, "No, fuck you. We're camping." Bas- like basically that. Yeah, and I think this is really interesting because it makes clear that at this point, they're not in the loop. Like, it it makes absolutely clear that sometimes we'll see stuff earlier, but they will still be oblivious to what's about to happen to them until that last little space of time, that, like, 15-minute space of time. Mm -hmm. So the guy is just like... (laughs) This guy, in this loop... Or in this memory, I guess, we see this guy is a total asshole right now. He's like, I can camp anywhere. Just watch. He goes down this random, like, not even really a road. It's got tracks for, like, a tractor, but no one's been down here in years, you can tell. And she hates it. She's like, this isn't even a road. Stop this. And, like, it's obviously a road. I'm driving on it, aren't I? Can we at least go to a real campsite if we're not going to go to a and b and okay, so this again with my theory of the fragments of memory and the guilt and the stuff, this is the stuff he's remembering when he's like, yeah, she was the one who did not want to go there. I was being a total dick about it. I did all of this stuff. And it's like, this is him like shamefully remembering what a dick he was that whole evening <laughs> leading up to this. So he's doing the whole subconsciously doing the whole if I listen to her, I wouldn't have to deal with these goons. It does kind of feel like that because it's all of the things that he did wrong that uh-huh. invalidated any like there, there's no way they can go back to any of these points that we're seeing. Like this is yes. him remembering these points that he could have averted this thing that he chose not to. Oh, yeah. And, and by the time the loop actually starts they, it's it's not far back enough to be able to do anything about it. Anything of that nature, anyway. Uh, well, yeah. 
Like, so so and he they get to a random clearing and who the fuck knows where they are now uh, they don't know they don't know and he's just like look anywhere where there's like a square meter of flat ground i can set up a tent in five minutes which we already know will prove to be false and it's it's really funny because that's the line that we jump forward to her looking out of the tent. And that's really fun because we know from the previous scene that things didn't go that way. And like, that's already it something turned, he's it, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, his whole, I can put a tent down in five minutes. We know that it turned into another thing. Yeah. So we cut to the next loop. Yeah. So this is loop two. Uh, so in this one, she's like, Tobias, I think. I think it's Tobias, uh, yeah. Tobias, he's, she's like, I need to pee. Can I please go outside? And he just kind of wakes up. He's like, I feel really weird. Yeah, he's like, something's uh, not right. Yeah. She's Do you like, hear just, something? Yeah, but but not like really. But he's not of, super concerned yet. Like, it's no. still foggy. He's yeah. still kind of dealing. Like, again, he's dealing with those are the things he's remembering. And he's not really sure why those are bugging him so much, right? This, yeah. this like, little fragments of memories of things that, like, he shouldn't have done uh, that got him here. Yeah, so here uh, he still makes her go outside, but then after she's made, like, a whole bunch of, like, she's already started doing stuff, and we hear her doing all this stuff to get ready to go pee. She's, he, he's, like, thinking, and then he's like, wait, actually, come on in and do it in here. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, make up your mind. Right. But like he's starting to put he's starting to like recall that like, no, something isn't right. He, he's getting weirded out by the situation. Yeah. And then the guy, they show up. <laughs> they show up. Um, the guy, the old man clearly knows that she's in that they're inside the tent because he's gesturing to the others like shh and like pointing at the tent and sneaking up on it. Yeah. And, and he, he puts he the dog in. <laughs> Oh no, he 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 drags the girl out of the tent. Oh right, she's being out where first. the flap thing is, like the, right. the uh, divider room. in in the second part. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he has. I don't really want to say what he has the dog do here. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross. It's not. I'm but not anyway, the dog drinks the it. urine again. Yes, she does. He does that too, and the man, or the the husband rather tries to oh, what does he do here he stays in the tent well he gets the knife again he gets the know? knife again yes and i think he was kind of getting the knife ready a little bit earlier so he's kind of a little bit more prepared with the knife this time yeah yeah um but he's like being really quiet hoping that oh no he goes out into the other Oh no! What happens here? He he gets out of the, he gets into the back flap and then yeah. he runs like he he gets out of it like they cut oh. down the tent no, and he puts one. the dog he, in again. No, or is that he, the the next loop? This one, yeah, that's the next loop. Well, this one, Jontron tackles him on oh. the tent and like impales him on a rod or something. Right. Okay. And then they stand him up like with the tent around him and point the gun at him. Right, he just does an elbow drop on him, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, and then we get to the the uh, bird's eye view again. Yeah. Game over screen. Game over screen. Yeah. And then we get another couple 
brief memories of them on their way there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now I don't remember what they are. This this next one in between. Uh, I don't really remember what one, we get there. This one we have the dude. The husband is brushing his teeth uh, with the water in the stream, and then he goes pee. There's a lot of pee in this movie. There's some peeing. There's some peeing. Um, and then he gets into the tent, and he starts making like these, like oh yeah, he's trying to sleep calls. with her. <laughs> he's trying to sleep with her. He's like, I'm horny. She's like, I she's not into hate it. you. She's trying to read a book. Yeah, she just, she just doesn't want to deal with him. Uh, and I don't know. She, he, they, they just kind of talk about it, but nothing really happens. And then we cut to him waking up again, or we cut to her yeah. looking at the flap again. Yeah, she looks out the flap, wakes him up, and then he's just like, "Shh, there's someone out there." Shh. Right. And she's she doesn't actually wake him up. He like he is suddenly oh, yeah, awake. He, like she looks over and he's awake. like, "Yes, Shh, there's someone out there." Because now like be. it's starting to solidify a little bit more in his mind what happened. But what he chooses to do here. So weird. Uh, he gets the knife again. Yeah. He runs out of the tent and gets into the car. Uh, and he makes her stay. He, makes he tells her, her stay. to stay. He's like, stay here. Do not leave. Do not leave. Do not go um, out to pee. Absolutely not. Just stay in the tent, which uh, this one, he's really leaving her out to dry. And I think maybe, again, the her refusing sex is what we're dealing with the memory there. And maybe that's oh. why he's maybe that's why. Maybe that's why he's doing And again, this. yeah. And this is the, in this particular memory in like this particular revolution. And I again, like it's them dealing with these issues in their marriage of them just being totally broken uh from each other right now so he like actually falls asleep in the car clutching the knife when when our when our team of team evil shows up and they show up uh, from a different direction in this one they, they show up behind the car with the flashlight yeah um so this time uh the man traps the girl in the tent with the dog and the dog gets her the dog gets her and then the the daughter um the tall skinny big hair lady stabs repeatedly into the tent with a tent pole yeah um it was pretty intense for the the, this is the only time we see like i mean there there aren't really on-screen deaths in this movie which is interesting most of them kind of happen just off screen we don't see it happen but it's just like this is the most on screen we get, I guess it's because yes. it's within the tent. So the dude starts the car and is just like, that's it. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And he hits John Tron. Yeah. Uh, the car gets stuck. And the dog. Oh, and the, he hits the dog here too. I believe he hits both of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, he, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Cause yeah. the dog was chasing after he, after the dog got out of the tent was yeah. chasing the car what's he gonna do when he gets the car stupid dog so so john tron just grabs like a log smashes the windows of the car now remember this guy's a giant he's not the size of actual john tron he just kind of he's gigantic yeah he's he's huge ogre man he, he just has like kind of that john tron face and beard yeah or hair and beard not even so much his face 
Yeah, like the the hair is much bigger. Like he's got big curly hair. Uh, but yeah, he's just this giant ogre man, and he sets he he picks up a log and just demolishes the car because the car has crashed after yeah. hitting him. And and then uh, yeah, and then the implication is that he drags the guy out of the car and just beats him with this log as we go to our game over screen. Yeah. Uh, and then. I don't think we get I think from this point we kind of stop getting much in the way of memories in between. It yeah. starts to just get into the loops from this point, right? This one uh the the memory is just she's reading a book in the tent. Uh there is howling of wolves or whatever outside of the tent and he's the husband starts whistling and it's all one long shot and one thing we haven't really talked about is there's a lot of long, quiet shots in this movie. Right. And I think, isn't he whistling Coco D. Coco Da? He's, yeah, he's whistling the Coco D. Coco Da song. So that's interesting because that's a point where, like, he's kind of in the loop. But I guess also, I mean, this music oh, box is something they have. And would cher- would, would probably be, be a cherished be, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, like it would be. It so yeah, that, that's that either they love or that they torture themselves with. Right, and probably oh, a bit God. both. Yeah, that Starman scene just oh, at yeah. the very beginning. Stop torturing yourself with right. this, like, or please don't do this to yourself. Like that's that, a great movie that too. That line tells <laughs> us so much more than. Uh, good movie, good movie. Watch, very good. Listen to our Starman episode if you're interested. And watch John Carpenter's Starman. Very underseen but excellent film. Jeff Bridges. Very, mm, so good. Very very different direction for Carpenter, but still very Carpenter. Solid recommend. It's his good alien one. Uh, and so, yeah, th- this one, they, uh, it, it goes forward pretty quickly. And this one, he like, he's not going to leave her behind this time. And he's pretty yes. ready right away. Yes. He, he seems to know exactly what's going on. He grabs her, um, like forces her out of the thing, basically. Um, and it's important to note every time like he leaves, uh, he's just leaving in his underwear. He does not take anything. He is just interested in taking in saving his own life and maybe his wife if he can. Well, at can this point, it. he kind of knows that he, he, he can't knows he leave has to behind. now. He, he knows he has to save her. And, yeah, uh, but, like it's he he got the failed mission a couple times and he knows he can't can't progress. So. Yeah, but he, this he one, still leaves all of his clothes. He still oh, yeah. goes He's in his underwear, uh, leaves his wallet, any money he might have. This is like when he gets back into town, this this is just going to be a man in his underwear and a wife in pajamas and a parka. Yeah, and like she doesn't want to go. She's like, she no, I got all the shit. She doesn't. Dude, I got hang all on. the shit. We'll and come back for it later. Again, and he this actually is... has not an even come up with a plan to come up back for it later and he doesn't have time to he just wants to get her out of there and I well most notably most notably he's very poor at communicating yes and and that's the thing he's he's unable to communicate to her he he won't tell her what the issue is he's just too busy with making things happen and again like it's it's an issue in their marriage mm-hmm. he doesn't listen he's not 
good at communicating. He's just trying to make things happen that he wants to happen, but he's not really uh, collaborating. And that's kind of what they need to do to succeed here. They need to get to a point where they're collaborating to get out. And I feel like ultimately, getting ahead of us a bit, they don't manage to get to a good ending. They just manage to get to an acceptable ending. Like going to the video game thing again, it's not a bad ending. It's just a, it's the, it's like the half, half-hearted ending. Like they, they survived. You got but to they, the end of the game, but you didn't. You didn't do the hero run. You didn't do the hero run. You got the, yeah. you got the most, you got the bunch of our friends are still dead ending. Right. So they do notably get pretty far away, and we actually have another scene. Uh, or another shot, rather, uh, with the camera in the back seat of the car, and they're talking. We don't know what they're talking about. We can't hear it. We only hear the music. And this is like another one of those long, atmospheric sh- shots. Yeah. Uh, so he pulls over so that she can go pee in the woods. Yeah, because uh, she's still been bugging her, like, I, I need to pee. I still yes. don't understand what's happening. We need to stop so I can go to the bathroom. Yeah, so they pull over, and here we just, uh, like, she's going to a stream, and then we cut to the husband, and he, like, in the van, and he just hears a scream. Yeah, uh, and then... Oh, and the dog was running up towards the woman. Yeah, we we see the dog running through the forest towards her, because that dog is drawn by urine. Uh, I think specifically her urine, it, it yeah. uh, activates him and she he's like a homing beacon to it. Uh, and then and like, again, this is sort of a video game thing. It's it's like a, a, an event trigger. And then they show up They're They're yeah, they generated They're They're um, like they spawn at his location. They show up outside the van. Now, I didn't make the video game connection until you started like started on the show. But like we started talking on the show here just now. But yeah when this is the most video game ending of the game over endings because it ends with the high uh, the bird's eye shot as the the old man is knocking on the window of the van which yeah. is just like when you get arrested in grand theft auto exactly like, like it, it isn't a you kill you don't even get a chance to arrest or they to don't resist. have a gun on him he's they just, just yep. knock on it and it's like okay well that's the end of this run yep run ended uh and then this last one it kind of just gets into it right away and he's like okay we, we've got to figure no this one's different there's no preamble to this one when yeah she because this is the one where he gets away he's he left uh he's oh yeah no gone. that's right this is the one because he was stopped there but like he kind of left her she was left in the forest and he was in the car maybe he is like in theory he's able to drive away out of this but that still leaves her in this netherworld. So this yeah. version, it's just her. Yeah. So, oh. Okay, yeah. So she wakes up uh, to, like, go pee, but he's not in the tent. Yeah, she goes to say to him, like, I, I have to go pee, and he's just not there. And she goes out, and the car is gone. The but car it's, is gone, and... It's sorry, gone go a little bit down the road, and it's crashed. Now, here's where it's interesting. In this loop, there's snow on the ground. Yes. Uh, there is snow on the ground. The car has crashed. Uh, the passenger door is opened. Like wrenched open, like the big guy took yes. someone and out. It, it looks like 
probably the aftermath of what happened uh, in the second loop. When he ran over the guy and then he came oh, out and yeah, he destroyed the, the truck with the with the log and then dragged the guy to his death. It looks well, like the aftermath of that. Yeah, there's a lot of things about this loop that are different. This one's, in, this ones. one's unusual. This one's unique because then we have the magical cat return. Yes, the magical cat comes back and uh, it's actually a really cool shot of the cat appearing because we're just looking at the rear view mirror of the car and we see the cat. Um, we see the cat while we also see through the windshield of uh, her in front of the car uh, mm -hmm. trying to push it out so that she can drive away. Right. And then we see her through the rear view mirror uh, approaching this cat and following it. Right. Uh, and because she wants, because she's like, screw getting the car. I've got to pet this kitty, which is the correct decision. Well, like you see a, you, you see a magical white cat in you a strange. Yes. Well, yeah. Again, it's <laughs> it's a video game thing. You you follow the magic white cat because obviously this is the new video game prompt. But like she follows it to this second shadow play, the follow up to our early yeah. one with the bunny family. Now the now the interesting thing is the next time we see her face, she's following this cat for quite a while. Oh yeah, the it's it's like daylight. Yeah, the next time we see her face, she's older. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get a second shadow play um, in this little tiny house, and we see that uh, in this in this shadow play, the old man is the one doing the puppets, Jontron is doing the violins uh, of the music, and the goth girl is uh, playing the drums, as in beating a drum to a beat yeah and like and, we see flashes of them in the background of uh the puppet show happening yeah so this puppet show is different from the other one the two bunnies are hunting this one's like oh uh, i tried to write this down but it's just such a trip the two bunnies are hunting the bird uh right that took away the, the daughter the took the daughter and they shoot it with these arrows uh, that are tied to to ropes, like trying to bring it down. And it's in a cage. And Let's then see. it it becomes colorful and it escapes the cage because you can't cage life like that. You can't well, cage first it happiness. Has to light on fire, and the two right. bunnies have to like, like a phoenix. Their, yeah, exactly like a phoenix. I even wrote that down. It's like, yeah. oh, this is the phoenix story. But while the bird is busy being burnt and reborn they the two bunnies are drifting apart you have whereas in the first one you had this one bunny house where they all lived here you have two different bunny houses that are separate and they're right. just like on the floor lying on the floor just in misery um and then the bird yeah the bird rises from the ashes it's got its color back and the curtain closes well so turns, like sorry go ahead yeah it, it's kind of it's it's the brute force ending and like it's him him brute forcing it and kind of like they both survive but they're not together anymore and like the marriage is done and it's it's sort of that version of the ending it's it's this is sort of the bad ending where they still survive she gets out of it and she kind of lives on a little bit but like she's unhappy and alone we don't really know what happened to him probably it just like kills him anyways yeah. So and then 
so the reason I, I think this loop was a dream, because uh, because of the just the surrealness of the shadow puppets. Because then right after this, we see her wake up to go pee again. Right. So like I I've counted this next one as part of the same loop. Okay, uh, so, interesting. So I feel like they're two separate loops in that uh, so, I. Because she does wake up and go outside and everything. I, I guess the other thing could be that maybe the the first dream is a dream she had in the tent at the beginning. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that while we've been seeing all the time what the man's been dreaming about, this is the first time we see what she dreams about. And we see it from her perspective and just don't notice that the man has woken up and left and done his own thing and had his whole other loop happen that we just didn't see. But like the snow is interesting. It it really does feel like it's a a particular metaphorical thing to do with like him being absent. It's, it's the one where he is gone and she is alone Right. Uh, very distinctly. And as well, like, you know, it's, it's the, the shadow play of the bunnies drifting apart and not, being able to support each other and, you know, the, them just kind of losing their, their grip on happiness and the, the uh, this, this bird that they've captured. Yeah. So, but then, this, okay. Our last, our yeah, last loop, our last loop, this is the final loop. Um, so she wakes up and here he's a little bit more gentle, but also determined to get her to the van. Yeah, he's um, very he firm. Collapses, he, he collapses the tent himself. Right. Because uh, she can't stay in the tent if he, he leave, if he if it's not yeah. up. Yeah. So it's like, oh, great. I'm, I'm just pulling this tent down. That will make you have to leave. Yeah. So uh, we see nobody speaks in this one. We see that he's in his underwear still. So like uh, and he made her he made her pee her pants in the van. Yeah, we, um, we cut forward a bit to them just yeah. driving out of the forest finally. They, and like we just see that her pants are road. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But they, And she looks like haggard. Neither of them are speaking. They're not speaking. Um but but they're out of there. They are out of this forest. There's actual paved road that they're on. And, and then, then they see the dog, the dog. The dead dog. Or, the, the dog that the guy was carrying, the dead dog from the beginning. Yes. Um, very, she, very significantly, it is that dog, the the different colored one. Yes. She but alive. screams and warms him, but it's too late, and he hits the dog, and they go into a small pond. Yeah, they go off the road, they crash, and um, but they're there's out. A, there's a long shot of them just looking at each other, not saying anything, and then they just hold each other. Yeah. They've um, gone through enough of a thing that they've kind of survived it like this is sort of a crucible for their relationship and they kind of got through it ultimately but it didn't look like they were going to for a while yeah exactly exactly so and it closes the loop because now we have the dead dog that he was carrying in the forest uh and it's it's sort of them closing that loop of they I don't know. That, that, that's that's my thing. I'm not totally clear on all of the meaning of the ending no, at this point. No, it's because it, they do not tell you. <laughs> they, they they don't tell you. And uh, we also have uh, a scene of the little girl in a black background with the music box. Yeah, and, and her uh, cranking it. 
Yeah, just she's her alone it. cranking the boxes. She, I think she's still dressed up as the bunny. Mm-hmm. And she's cranking the music box. And then we see on the music box the cartoon version of our freak family. Again, and, yeah. Yeah. And we also see a rooster that's the same color as the the phoenix from the shadow play. And, and, and like the the song play. of the rooster, uh, the, the that's what, like what what was introduced at the that is the song of the rooster, Coco di Coco da. I thought so, but I was like, no, wait, isn't that a Japanese thing where it makes that sound? But yeah, it no, might be yes. like they oh might have God. just had they they might have had a Japanese children's book that like was her thing or something. But yeah, oh, that that's what the then, song is. And then, but then, like as the credits are going, it like just shows the music box swirling around and around and. And looping uh, like four right. or five times while the credits roll, and then it stops on like it, it does like you know the uh, little fade out circle thing where it's like a circle closes in over somebody's head, you know yeah. how you end a cartoon show over right. the rooster. So yeah, and the freaking rooster is the color of the phoenix that symbolizes a new life, and the rooster itself symbolizes the new dawn, a new day. They actually did break the loop, and that's what yeah. they're saying, and I, and you called it, and I didn't, <laughs> because I said they didn't break the loop, and you said, yeah, they did, and you're right, and I'm not. I think so. I like. I, I, I feel like they right. broke it, but they did not break it in a very ideal way. Like, they escaped, they're but it wasn't out. the good ending. They're no? out. Uh, they can maybe talk to each other now, sort this shit out. Uh, They've been and, through a new trauma that they can refocus. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think I think the by this final loop, uh, the wife has some awareness of the loop too. Right, and that's kind of why I think the the shadow play and the cat thing is a separate loop exclusively of her own because i think this is the only loop where she's a little aware of what's going on so i think that was her realization loop i agree um like it's yeah now that we've talked it over i agree with you and like talking the metaphor of it i feel like it's a lot of the trouble is on the guy's side there are a lot of things that he needs to do differently but it's sort of a realization that there are also a couple things that she needs to do maybe I think that's probably yeah, like, sort of like, metaphorically what they're going with maybe there. Like she, yeah, maybe she's like, okay, he does kind of suck, but if I want this to work, I do kind of got to meet him halfway. Because a lot of it, a lot of her problems, her just, him being it was very sullen. her just not saying what he's got a, or her not saying what she's got a problem with. Cause like yeah, because like the ice cream thing that about earlier. Cream, she's not mad about the ice cream. Well, and specifically the ice cream thing was that He's like, well, you didn't get the, I didn't want strawberry. That's not the one I wanted. It's like, well, you didn't tell me what you wanted. It's like, do you, and like, how, how am I supposed to know that? And like, well, you should know. And it's like, she's still not telling him what she wants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it's like, they're both completely incapable every, of communication. They both have to work on things and maybe, maybe now at least they can. Yeah. And I think that's sort of. The semi-happy ending is they get to a point where, like, yeah, they've still been through this horrible trauma. They lost their child, and that's never going to be a thing that didn't happen. So that's always going to be a shadow. But they've gotten to a point now at the end of the movie where they can maybe see each other as people again. Uh uh Well, yeah, like the the way they just kind of looked at each other at the end before they did 
that that long embrace i kind of got the feeling that when i watched it like i don't still think that now that we've talked it over but Mm. i had a feeling that they looked at each other and they just at the time i was thinking that they were like both knew that the family was going to get about here but they drew a far way yeah they they got pretty far they got pretty far yeah, and now they're, still they're out. They're they're still, out. They still got to get help somehow, but, you know, they're out. I, and I guess that's well, really that's what the, the movie is about, just well, getting as well, out. And fi- even oh though God, they're out, there's still the battle. You still got to go oh, out. You got to get help. Is, yeah, no, it's a whole thing. This movie's brilliant. I it's like It's pretty this great. I think it's really interesting. Like, we... <laughs> Uh, on we 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 are both listeners to last podcast on the left, and there has was recently someone on there. I, I, Marcus was talking about how he's so sick of horror movies about grief, and it is a whole thing. There's a lot of <laughs> yes. horror movies about grief, and this is yes, absolutely this is another, another one. one. But it's really good. I think it's super it well done, and it's an interesting take on it. It's a, it's a really unusual riff on it. Yeah, yeah. And I like the metaphor use. Like it's it's not very uh like it's it's not telling you it's not telegraphing the concept it's just kind of letting the concept play out uh in its own way and And there are parts that i'm still not totally clear on how they fit together but i like that it's a genuine puzzle box in that way yeah i mean i like that you don't have morpheus saying to you (laughs) so the old man was was a reference to uh the the old man at the restaurant I, I don't know. I don't something. get quite what the people were about, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Like the the three of them might serve some kind of specific uh, metaphorical purpose, or they may be a reference to some they sort of Swedish some things. Yeah, they they could be a Swedish folk thing that I'm just totally unfamiliar with. I don't know. Yeah, could but be. either way, yeah, yeah just cool yeah, this is movie. a Swedish thing, even though. I keep, even though it's in Swedish, I keep thinking it's in America because this feels like a weirdly American horror story. True. I mean, like it's it, it's got the same sort of feel of a lot of modern horror Renaissance stuff because that that's yeah. kind of like it's very Duke esque It's very it follows esque yeah. in in terms of the tone and look. It's very beautifully well, shot. Actually, that's kind of how you sold it to me last week. You said it was like it's Babadook between Groundhog Day and Groundhog yeah. Day. And that's pretty accurate. Like that's what it's the pull quote that's on the disc. Actually, (laughs) I think that's Mm -hmm. like on the cover. Yeah, it's like Groundhog Day. If you have 15 minutes to figure your shit out. Yeah, that's not enough. And like to their credit, they get out after like five, six loops. I mean, that's pretty good. They escaped. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they did. Um, Yeah. It's achievable. (laughs) It can be done. It just you got to work hard and you got to work together. You can heal from trauma. All right. Uh, so any final thoughts on this before we move to our last section? Um, not at the moment, but I'm sure they'll come rolling in as soon as I'm done recording. All as right. As usual. Oh, yeah. We, we still got a third <laughs> section to talk about anyway. We sure do. Well, on we go. And we're back with our third section where we talk about some movies we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to watch next week. Uh, uh, so first up we have from the severin folk horror box i watched the next one lepterinka 
Uh, so this is a Yugoslavian folk horror movie, and it's weird. Like I, I mentioned that it's really low budget. I think it was made for television. Okay. And it's very rural and kind of oddly comedic. So it's like this really rural Yugoslavian village, and they just they they have a vampire that that won't get out of the the water mill, and it just. <laughs> eating all their millers <laughs> and they Gosh, so, get out of there i don't want to get out of here so like we, we only have a couple characters there's this council like the little village council and they they're just like oh, i don't know what to do i mean i don't want to do the milling that sucks that's work i don't want to do that <laughs> shit yeah. and and they're like they're, so our i guess sort of our protagonist there's this guy who wants to marry this girl but the dad isn't into it because he's too poor so they can they're they're able to get him to be the miller and he has to deal with the vampire and stuff it's okay. it's a weird it's a very short movie it's like an hour long oh, wow. uh and yeah it's just weird it's eerie it's a, a strange thing cool, cool. <laughs> like very folk horror and that like it's it's a vampire story but it's a very specific vampire story that's like how Rural Yugoslavia deals with their version of a vampire. Well, that's really interesting because I don't know how rural Yugoslavia deals with, uh, well, admittedly, anything. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't even exist anymore, so there well, is that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this would be modern-day Serbia. Not sure. Uh, next up is The American Friend. Uh Amazing movie. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, this is a Wim Wenders film. I'm a really big fan of his work. Uh, it stars Dennis Hopper as Thomas Ripley, which is uh, the same character Matt Damon plays in The Talented Mr. Ripley. Okay, I've never seen that, but uh, I've definitely heard of, a little bit about it. Right, so that's kind of the origin story for the character, whereas this is one of his later adventures. There's a whole bunch of books uh, by Patricia Highsmith based on him. Okay. Uh, and this one, so the American friend is uh, Thomas Ripley. He's this eccentric kind of cowboy in Germany, and he's got big Dennis Hopper energy. <laughs> and he 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 is slighted by Bruno Ganz. Bruno Ganz does something like he, he, he refuses a handshake. And so he kind of gets him involved in a hitman scheme. Like he kind of hires him out as a hitman. Oh. <laughs> uh, and he's, so cause he's dying of a blood disease. At work? Yeah. So like the, the guy's dying of a rare blood disease, but, and he kind of makes it seem like it's worse than it is to kind of get him into it. And the guy kind of gets, pressured into becoming a hitman uh and then you know ultimately ripley starts feeling bad about it because it wasn't him who's actually doing it it's another associate of his and it kind of gets further out of hand that he wanted and he kind of becomes his friend and they deal with the issue together okay. and that kind of sounds like a big action movie thing it's all liminal spaces it's all low light it's pretty much always shot in like magic hour or the middle of the night it's quiet they're always in just like these liminal spaces it's beautifully beautifully shot uh and it's just chill it's weirdly chill for a movie about you know hitman assassinations and explosions and stuff uh hopper's just like a pure agent of chaos in it it's it's amazing absolutely incredible film the only other thing i 
like I know I've seen other Dennis Hopper films, but the only performance I remember is, um, of course, King Koopa from the <laughs> yeah uh, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, contentious. I have had every possible opinion that over the course of the years that I could have about the Mario Brothers movie that sh- changes every few years. Yeah, we really got to watch the uh, original director's cut sometime now that that's surfaced. I really am interested to see what they did with oh that. Oh, my God. Yes. What a fucking movie. And, but this, this though, this sounds fascinating. It's awesome. Uh, next yeah. up is The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, which is a sort of 70s gangster film. But again, low light, a lot of people just kind of chilling in shabby rooms and uh, restaurants and diners and parking lots and stuff. It's just uh, Robert Mitchum. He's Eddie Coyle, and he's like this small-time crook who's about to go to jail, and he's just trying to find anyone he can kind of inform on and still get away with it enough that he can not go to jail, but also not get killed. Oh, finding the right, just the right balance of whom to uh, roll over on. Exactly. Uh, and it's just him kind of dealing with that situation over a few days. And there, there's meanwhile, a series of bank robberies uh, perpetrated by uh, someone that he knows and like he's kind of dealing with the cop, but the cop is not really dealing with him on the level. It's interesting. It's a very, very good movie. Cool. All right. uh, well, I already don't know what I'm going to pick. But, yeah, all solid right. choices. Next. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up is Nightmare at Noon. I, I told you a bit about this one. This is the Wings Hauser picture that I discussed last oh. week. Uh, so yes, he's kind of the second lead in this one. This is more of a Bo Hopkins movie. And Bo Hopkins doesn't have anywhere near as much character. <laughs> uh, so Wingshauser in this one is a predatory uh, celebrity attorney. He basically gets clients who are assholes, who he knows are going to, you know, not be able to follow through on things that they're supposed to do as celebrities. And so they'll he'll, he like signs them up to really strict contracts. And when they can't fulfill on the contract, he sues the shit out of them. Uh, he's got a license plate that says I sue you on his like really super expensive <laughs> high-tech RV that he's driving around. High-tech RV? Yeah, he's like a super yuppie asshole in this. It's weird. It's it's a different kind of character for him. Uh cuz okay. like he's he's not the heroic one. He's just like this he he you know, he's the Hollywood guy who's kind of just like brought along uh and there's also George Kennedy who's like the third lead as the local sheriff. And the thing is, uh, Brian James, uh, you'd know him best probably as Leon in Blade Runner. Okay. Start. Yeah. Uh, In this, he's like an albino mad scientist, and he has created a chemical weapon, and they're testing it in this small mountain town that uh, Bo Hopkins and Wingshauser happen to drive through and get stuck in because uh, they, they, they jam everything in the town with like an EMP type thing. So they can't like anyone who's driving in or out their you know, motor gets stopped. So they can't really do anything. And everyone in town, uh, like they poison the water supply and they become green goo zombies. Like their, their blood turns green. Uh, and yeah, they, they just sort of become zombies and they have to fight them off. First hour is really great. 
last third is pretty rough. <laughs> like oh. the the last third of it is pretty boring. There's like a full 10 minutes of just helicopter chases. And I don't know who any of the people are in the helicopters. They have nothing to do with the plot. They're just, it's just helicopter stuff for like 10 minutes. And it's like, okay, uh, whatever. But the first hour is really fun. <laughs> okay. I, I want to watch all of these. I, I know they're like a really solid bunch. And last yeah. one is Arabella Black Angel. Last or first one in the uh, new volume four, Forgotten Gialli from Vitiger Syndrome. Oh, cool. So this is an 80s yellow. Uh, as I mentioned last week, it's very high sex content one. This is a, a very extra sleazy yellow with just tons and tons of nudity and sex. It's about this lady who's cheating on her husband. And like at the start, she goes to this really weird brothel that's like an abandoned building where people are having all these weird theatrical live sex shows. It's like eyes wide shut, but like on meth, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very trashy. Like it's, it's a bombed out building, but there's all these people having weird live sex in a bunch of rooms and the cops show up and they bust most of them. And she's assaulted by a cop. And right. then there, there's a photographer who's taking pictures of all of it, who's following her. Okay. And then the next day, the cop shows up at her house and he tries to assault her again. And she's kind of into it by this point. Like she she gets into it. But then her husband shows up and he's in a wheelchair because uh, like they got in a car accident while she was giving him a blowy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so he sees her and the cop getting it on and she sees him seeing so she picks up a hammer and kills the cop with the hammer and then the husband is kind of into it he's into (laughs) her being like sleeping around and and you know she's going to be the main character in his new novel because like he's had writer's block since he lost his legs and he just follows her around to all of these things and like kind of forces her to go and like be extra promiscuous and stuff. And then after the, after each of these sexual encounters, uh, these people get murdered and their dicks get cut off by scissors. Also the photographer ends up dead. Uh, other people end up dead. It's, it's incredibly trashy, but you know, it's wild. (laughs) Okay. So those are the six strong, Holy strong, or five, nice. real strong five. <laughs> um, we'll probably yeah. have to watch a couple of these at other times or all of these at various times. Well, we definitely got to watch the Wings Hauser one at some yeah. point, but it did kind of sell me away from it with the, the last it's, bit. It's absolutely the weakest of the five, for sure. Like, I, I love the first hour, but like this, the third, like that that last half hour is... It's dry because there's almost yeah. no Wingshauser in it. He oh. He's kind of almost out of the picture for like the last third. Oh, that's a shame. Kind of like, yeah, okay. Um, well, I then am going to say I have no idea what Yugoslavian films are like. I want to know. All right. So Lepterica, uh, and that, that kind of carries on the folk horror too. Yeah, because you did yeah. do the first one. Yes, and quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was. How obvious was it that I was trying to get out of having to pronounce the name? <laughs> Lepterica. Lepterica. 
I like so, it. Yeah. All right. So uh, first edition, as well as from the Folk Horror Box, we've got Witch Hammer. Uh, and this is a Czech New Wave film. Uh, and it's it's sort of like about inquisitors. You know, it, it's a this, this small town has like a minor communion thing where, you know, someone does something wrong and they get an inquisitor come to town, which is a big mistake. And uh-huh. you just kind of, you know, they, they deal with the consequences of bringing an inquisitor to town. Uh, I hear it's very brutal. It's quite a harsh film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, next ad is Sword of Vengeance, first of the Lone Wolf and Cub series. Oh. Uh, so, of, of course, framed for disobeying the Shogun, the chief executioner of the Shogunate uh, takes a baby and he just has to battle against his former clan while taking care of a, an infant. I think I think I've actually seen this uh, with you. I think so. Years ago, one of the ones in this series. First one is the one years ago. Um, I remember very little of it, so that's that's something I'm glad is on here that we can revisit. Totally rocks. Uh, Next edition, Rodan, who's the earliest Uh, competitor to Godzilla. Uh, From the same director as Godzilla, I think it's the same year as Godzilla. Oh, oh, like competitor as in. Uh, competing franchise competing kaiju because rodan does fight godzilla a few times he's like he's like gamera's gauss okay okay Uh, or he's he's like godzilla's gauss he's very similar to gauss he's a kaiju pteranodon i think uh and he's got like his whole weird backstory uh initially like i think they're doing some mining and they find these weird giant bugs uh, and ultimately, it turns out they're what Rodan eats, and then they have to deal with Rodan. Okay, so so this is like a Rodan solo movie? Yeah, this is prior to him fighting Godzilla. So the, okay. both Rodan and Mothra have their own movies before they're folded into the Godzilla series. Oh, neat. Oh, yeah. King Kong has fought Godzilla, right? too, and he's right. certainly had his own thing. Yeah. I, I've never seen the original King Kong. Oh, really? Oh, we should totally do that sometime. That movie is amazing. Uh, I saw that very, very young, and it's kind of my introduction to the kaiju film, essentially. Because, uh, you know, it's it's a giant monster, and he does do the thing that Gauss does, where he'll just, like, reach down and pick up a handful of people and eat them at a couple points. <laughs> which was very shocking to me as, like, an eight-year-old. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've probably seen King Kong just from, like, clips right. over the years, but... And- Simpsons has probably done so much and quite a bit. I mean, there, there is Looney Tunes has parodied it. Oh, big time. I mean, everybody that that's just, it's one of the fundamentals. Uh Uh, Next edition is the last hunter, which is like, it's a Vietnam film, but it's a crazy Italian exploitation version of a Vietnam film. So it's like deer hunter slash apocalypse now, but like crazy Italian exploitation take on it. (laughs) Ultra violent. I've never seen. I've never <laughs> seen a non-American Vietnam movie. Right? Um, yeah, very uncommon. Like, there's that uh, Nam Angels one that I talked about last week, which is a Philippines uh, oh, Vietnam right. movie. <laughs> yeah. And last edition, also from the Forgotten Gialli set, we've got the Sister of Ursula, which is another really sleazy sexploitation giallo. 
this one's about two sisters who are looking for their mother at some seaside hotel. And obviously, you know, a giallo takes place there. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, so those are the additions. And of course, you know, right. uh, Gamera versus Virus. Of course, of course. As discussed earlier. All, All right, right, what do you think, guy? Well, um, I'm thinking since we had such good luck uh, revisiting a series that has been sitting, that had been kind of on the shelf for a long time. A few months. Uh, yeah, a few months. I kind of want to go back to one that we, another one that we've kind of, that we're almost, uh, I think we're almost through this series. And it has been a few months since we've done anything with uh, Sukamoto. Okay. There, there's actually a few of those left. Uh, so, oh, yeah. There? I thought there was only like two or three. Uh, there's, I think that might be the number of discs because there's two movies on each disc. Oh. And there's also two additional movies that we've got in there. So, like, oh, right. after there, we've. You've got after, some. Yeah. Yeah, after we do Bullet Ballet, I figure we should move it up to Huruko the Goblin, which is hmm. the movie that was made in between the two Tetsuo movies. Yeah, that's right. They are two they are two movies per disc. And we're not even close then on Tsukamoto, but we're closer on Tsukamoto than we are on like Gamera. Yeah. Or Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> or Godzilla, yeah. So yeah, let's let's do Bullet Ballet then, which I, I hear is awesome. Yeah, like ever since I don't even remember what it was, but I just remember when we dis when you described the premise to me, I was immediately sold, and I was like, I want to see Sukumoto's version of this. Yeah, uh, it it looks like it's going to be pretty rad, and it's going to be an interesting one. It's him returning to black and white, I believe. Oh, interesting, nice, the stylish nice. look. I, All right, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think I think I like his black and white stuff better, although the use of color in uh, Tokyo Fist was phenomenal. Very interesting use. Yeah, like it's not aesthetic use of it. He He's not really much right. for aesthetic use of color. It's mainly just story use, which is interesting. Yes, and, yeah, and that's that's why it worked in Tokyo Fist, where it, it almost felt like it took away from it in. Well, uh, Tetsuo 2. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Because Tetsuo 2, it's just that really grimy industrial aesthetic, and there's not really anything, like, all we have in terms of the color is just, like, that blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so next week, we will be discussing Shinya Tsukamoto's 1998 film, Bullet Ballet. Oh, and that's the pretty new compared to the others. Uh, Ten years after the first. Yeah, I think Tokyo Fist was, like, 95 or 96, probably. Yeah, Something okay, like that. cool. All right, so we'll do that and the Yugoslavian film Lepterica. Uh, oh, I'm excited time. for it. All yeah. right. So uh, thanks so much for listening, as always. Uh, any final thoughts before we go out? Um, I, it was on the tip of my tongue. I was going to make a joke about something from one of the movies, and it was going to be great, but it wasn't, so we're just going to have to... Now it's gone. Let's leave that in. <laughs> All right. That's better than if I said nothing. Okay. Well, uh, thanks so much for listening and keep watching the stacks. <laughs>